Live on Wednesday. Coop, how you doing, sir? I'm great, man. How are you? Good, 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 man. Welcoming everybody into the room. We got a lot to talk about today, man. There was a lot going on over the weekend. People were showing love to Biggie, which would have been his 50th birthday. We haven't had a show since Friday. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that. R.I.P. B.I.G. Terminator 2 is in the room first. Once again, DeCarlo's in his second. What up, DeCarlo? Shout out to everybody coming in the room. We're going to give y'all a second to get in the room. Uh, one of the other things we want to talk about was um, the fact that this 8-Ball MJG versus with uh, UGK seemed to have popped up. I feel like I was speaking about 8-Ball MJG and UGK <laughs> last week, but, you know, we'll see how... Um, this goes. I'm looking forward to seeing it tomorrow. We're probably going to give a full rundown on the Friday, but we want to talk about the politics of that and kind of like the build up to that as well in this show. Well, first things first, everybody getting in the room, man. Daytona is celebrating its fourth anniversary. A lot of y'all think that I overblow Daytona. I said, I got Daytona on vinyl, bro. I heard an echo for a second. I got Daytona on vinyl. And um, I want to talk about, man, like, what were some of your favorite songs off of this album? And what were some of your takeaways? I know we talked about Daytona early, man. That's, that's some of our uh, breakdowns that a lot of people didn't get to hear when the album came out. I think um, I think everything on there is pretty glorious, to be quite frank with you. <laughs> that's one of the beautiful things about it. It's um, It's compacted. And it's short, but it's so satisfying and fulfilling. All of the songs feel full. Um, if You Know You Know was the best rap song that year, in my opinion. Just if we're just talking like All Things Considered. Um, Hard Piano is just some some epic big boy talk between Push and Ross. Like, they're both at the top of their game on that level. Um, you know, my personal favorite is What Would Meek Do. That's that's one of the, one of the best verses of kind. Con- Best verses of Kanye's career. Uh, Pusha T is in pocket as well. I love, <laughs> I love the name of the song and the message. Um, I love the honesty in the record. Uh, infrared, obviously, I think we all know what infrared is and kind of what it did and what it led to. Mm-hmm. And, so it, and, and this is without bringing up the games we play. It's just. It's, well, let's go to the track list real quick because yeah, I mean, if you go to if you know, you know. I think it's a perfect intro, perfect first song, right? Games We Play was my favorite song on the album for a minute. I listen, I was bumping Daytona today, man, and I'm sitting here like, listen, man, this intensity here, production-wise and, you know what I'm saying, rap-wise, I didn't hear on It's Almost Dry, and I don't want to harp on It's Almost Dry because I think we kind of end up there at every show, but, man, the games we play is vicious. And then, like you said, Hard Piano. Takes you to a place. I mean, um, lower levels where you settle at. I'm the pot calling the kettle black. Where's no brick pedals at? Between God and where the devil's at. Had to double dutch and double back and hopscotch to where the trouble's at. Exactly what the game's been missing. Like, it's bars like that on every single song. And I know a lot of y'all think that we kind of overblow this album, but the spit game from Pusha and the production job from Kanye, this is a special album. It is. It's a special album, regardless. Uh, Comeback Baby, which you and I believe is the weakest song on the album, right? It's still banging. If it was on this Almost Dry, it would be a highlight. Santeria. 
I mean, that speaks for itself. That's that, that that's arguably the best production job job on the album, maybe. You know, arguably, yes. Uh, what will Meek do? Like you said, you get one of Kanye's best verses at a at a very tumultuous time of Kanye's career. This is Kanye mm-hmm. after wearing the MAGA hat for the first time. Kanye after going on TMZ and getting approached by basically the whole staff. You know, everything Ye say caused a new debate. Come on, man. I won't feel right till I feel like Phil Knight. Going for six rings like a Phil told Mike. Seven pill nights. You know what that feel like? No, no more hiding my stars and showing like seal, right? Beautiful. And we know what infrared is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the Wayne bars on infrared, where he's like, uh, he see what I see when he see Wayne on tour. Flash without the fire. Another multi-platinum rapper trapped and can't retire. Niggas get exposed. I see the cracks and I'm the liar. Shit, I've been exposed. I took the crack and built the wire. Now, who do you admire? Y'all think we overblow this album for real? Like, I, maybe my ears are hitting something different, man. Like, I don't understand what people don't understand. No, the same the same thing happened when Hell Hath No Fury came out. I mean, I, that's that's why I'm letting you talk it this time around because it's like I've already caught this fight. Like, people did the same thing with Hell Hath No Fury. It's like they act like it didn't happen, like it didn't exist. They're like, oh, it's cool. It's dope. It's got some dope records. It's like, are you hearing the production job? Are you hearing the rhymes? Are you hearing the rhyme schemes? Are you hearing what Yeah. This so. shit's special. Uh, Nas the Goat with the Super Chat. He says, what y'all think about Diddy saying that Jay-Z, Phil, Biggie, and Pac shoes? We're going to get there. We are going to get there. I want to wait till some more people get in the room. And you know what? And I, Just to give y'all a preview. I think one of the bigger issues I had with what was said was not really that. I think they took a lot of clips out of that and, you know, so people could go viral, whatever, whatever. I think when Diddy said that Biggie looked up to Jay-Z, that was the part that kind of made me pause. Like, hmm, let's get our timelines together. But we'll get back to that. Um... Daytona, man, I gave a perfect score when it came out. Uh, It's aged like fine wine. I mean, I played it today. I didn't feel like anything was like, yo, I don't listen to this in that way anymore. That was one of those albums that even though it's seven songs, I played it two times over in total succession. So it felt like 14 songs to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would play it and then play it again. Great album. So great, like I said, I went and got the vinyl. So yeah, you did. And you often talk about the vinyl, show the vinyl. Uh, it's a masterful record. Beautiful record. Um, I think Hard Piano is my favorite record, but I think to me the best song on there is the games we play. We put a poll out there on our YouTube channel asking you guys what the best song was. If you know, you know, got thirty six percent of the vote at number one. Uh, the games we play got 27% of the vote at number two. Santeria got 21% of the vote at number three. And then you got What Would Meek Do after that with 9% and Hard Piano with 7%. And the fact that the song that I personally liked the most ended up number five, and you know, we couldn't put the other two options and whatnot, ended up at number five just lets you know how strong this album is. I mean, I've said this many times. If you know, you know is now a popular culture reference. Yes. You see every week, everywhere, like, 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 that's, that's pusher. 
Like, he created something even with that song that's, like, literally part of, you know, popular culture as it exists today. How many people post if you know you know now? No, you're right. 100%. Yeah. It's part of pop culture lexicon. So, and that's part of the things that make uh, albums legendary, too. Like, like it's kind of cemented in, in that way because of that record, too. That's, that's the moment on that record that kind of, like, takes you to a place in a moment in time where it kind of, like, solidifies that, you know? Straight up. Well, happy fourth anniversary today, Tona. Um, you know, I'm going to be bumping it all day. I want to move to something. Hold on, let me get the Ryan Gillum super chat real quick. He says, do you guys think Goody Mob's album Soul Food is underrated? Yes. I think it's underrated and underappreciated. I've said many times on this show, I think it's the second best hip-hop album to ever come out of uh, Atlanta. Actually, I think it's the second best album, period, to ever come out of Atlanta. I think it's slightly better than Southern Playlistic. I would put it above um, Crazy Sexy Cool. I think I've told you that before. Um, I think that Goody Mob's legacy mirror it. It um, it suffers from being in the shadow of Outkast. Just to be perfectly honest with you, I think Outkast's evolution was happening right in front of people's eyes and so fast and so bold that some of the great groundwork that Goody Mob put together kind of gets overlooked. <clears throat> when you're saying it's underrated, are we saying that people are walking around saying that it's not a classic because if that's what people are saying, then yes, severely underrated. But if people are giving it its classic due, I think there are different levels to it. I don't think people are going to put it as high as you have it, Mike. Just in all fairness. Oh yeah, no, no, that's fair. Although I'm going to put, uh, how about this? Here's what I will tell you: is is that I think what that album lacks outside of CeeLo is the type of lyricism that people in 1995 were accustomed to at the time. And Outkast was more easier to digest lyrically because of some of the player and alien conceptual theme work. You know, Goody was talking about issues of, you know, social injustice and unrest and, you know, quite frankly, like, you know, Illuminati. And you you get what I'm saying? And they were also talking about the poverty of the community. You know, they talked about things from a different aspect than Outkast. And what I always tell you is, is that much like what's going on with Kendrick's album right now, well, it just makes the, the, the music a little tougher to ride to when you have a group that's over here making elevators and Ben Zorabima. Well, I, you know, I disagree with that to a extent. I see where you're coming from. I think maybe the content could have been very heavy for a lot of people. But I don't think they suffer from replay value. I think that cell therapy... <laughs> I think cell therapy and soul food specifically, single-wise, were probably better listening singles and replay singles than any of the stuff that Outkast had at the time. Except for Elevators, yes. I think cell therapy is a better single than Elevators. And I love Elevators. I hate pitting these two against each other. But I think if you want to talk about radio level... I think who's that peeking in my window and the beat. I think the beat for cell therapy is better, and I think the hooks actually better. I think the hooks are a wash because I think both the hooks are flawless for the different hooks reasons. are incredible for both. If I had to pick between the two, the, which one has lasted the longest? The, the, it's got to be lyrics, real. 
No, no, no. You're right because Travis Scott uh, sampled uh, cell therapy on Astro. Exactly, man. No, no, no. We got to show. Hold on, hold on. We got a, a twenty dollar super chat and a fifty dollar super chat. We got to show y'all love real quick. Tabernet with the twenty dollar super chat says Daytona is a classic, better than Alfredo. Just caught your last stream from the other day. Coop had me heated. His comment on fifty uh, was worse. Than his comment with Will. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Said 50 ain't got no street records. Was a bad take, Coop. We should get into that if we got some time today, too. Because, oh, no, we can't get into that. Because I've been texting Coop back and forth. He ain't got no street records. I said he don't have street records like that, like that. Like, Yo, like, hey, I was listening... When you texted me the other day, I was listening to nothing but 50 Street Records. I was like, yo, man, I can't wait until me and Coop do this back and forth. I'm going to hit Coop with some heat. I really want Jeezy. I really want you to pick Jeezy, but a part of me no, wants you to pick Eminem, too. How about this? The way the Eminem ain't going to be fair, man. You know, the way people have, been, have, been, have been, been giving me the fade about my comments about 50 is it's like, is Jeezy even enough for him? It's like, because it's like, well, let's do Wayne then. Since y'all think so much of 50. I'm fine with that. I feel like you're skipping steps, but I'm fine with that. I can't back down from that. Uh, Marquez Davis with the $50. Go ahead. Uh, ahead. I was going to say, Marquez Davis with the $50 Super Chat says, I love Jay-Z, but he is no biggie. He is uh, a better lyricist. Yes. Big is a better storyteller, voice, cadence, etc. I'm sick of people trying to claim someone is filling Biggie's shoes. There will never be another B.I.G. Two albums, that's all that was needed. Well, you know what? Since you opened up the door, man, maybe we need to go ahead and get into that. Kick in the door. Let's go ahead and get into that. All right. So, Biggie's 50th, well, what would have been Biggie's, excuse me, I can't even talk. What would have been Biggie's 50th birthday? We're talking 50 cent. We're talking 50th birthday. I got mixed up. But anyway, what would have been Biggie's 50th birthday? Uh, title, they got on uh, Clubhouse, invited uh, Jay-Z, Fat Joe, and Diddy to talk about, you know, their experiences with Biggie and basically showing love to Big and all of that. Now, a lot of people took the clip of Diddy saying that um, Jay-Z filled Biggie and Tupac's shoes uh, when they passed on or were murdered, and people took issue with that. And, you know, we'll get into the Tupac thing because I don't think there's anything that Jay-Z did that, um, you know, even did anything as far as filling Tupac's shoes. Now, to Jay-Z's credit, he did say it was me and others that filled that void or filled those shoes. And then Diddy jumps in there and says, oh, no, you filled those shoes. That's fine. Whatever. People are going to big themselves up. Those are the people that were on the phone. And you got to understand this was a title clubhouse. So what else are they going to do, right? But my thing was when Diddy said that Biggie looked up to Jay. And not and even before that part of it, Jay-Z was on the line before uh, Diddy got on. And I listened to the whole clubhouse because I wanted to make sure that we weren't taking any of these clips out of context that people were post- posting out there. So Jay-Z got on first, and that's when he told the story about Biggie wanting him to move to Atlanta, and they live in, you know, side-by-side house or whatever. He said this was around 95, 96. And he said, Big was like, yo, come down to Atlanta. We need to move to Atlanta. And Jay was like, Atlanta? It's like, we're the hottest guys in New York City in the world. 
1995-96. Now, I don't know if Jay misspoke. Things happen. You know, we get older. Niggas forget shit. But the truth of the matter is, Jay wasn't on that level where they were like some sort of twin tower tandem in 95-96. Biggie was the guy in New York. Nas was the guy in New York. And I pulled up a little bit of data to kind of prove that. That's just not hearsay. And I want to say, like, how are we actually equating, um, you know, being, as Jay quoted and saying, the hottest guys in New York City. Do sales equate that? Because if they do, I got those real quick. Shout out to Reggie with the Super Chat. He says, uh, can we get an A2HH Goody Mob versus Outcast versus? I think that'd be cool. I think Goody might run out of a, you know, songs, you know, but I think the stuff in their prime. I would love to take on I would love to take on Goody and you take on Cass, but you know. The stuff this um stuff on Soul Food and still standing. And you know, um you got special stuff floating out there like decisions, decisions on soul assassins mm-hmm. with mugs that we've referenced plenty of times. There might be just enough to get to a twenty piece. Yeah. Because you also gotta think about some of the outcasts and other dungeon family stuff they've done too. And you know, Gip has done some solo stuff and yeah. he made a some dope record, you know. So we was hard. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Tabernat with the super chat. He says, "Straight up, Mike, I've been bumping fifty since uh, the stream." Coop don't like bullies. <laughs> he got emotional with fifty with the fifty tape. Uh, Nas the goat says, "Lil C's also said that Biggie looked up to Jay Z." Hmm. Ray Realm says, "Lil C's confirmed that Biggie looked up to Jay Z." Okay. Can we unpack well, that? I want to unpack that because. How are we saying that Biggie looked up to Jay? Because you, I think when you and I talked about it, you were saying it was the business acumen, right? Yes. Well, see, he was probably looking at himself, okay? Mm-hmm. And in 95, 96, it's big and it's Nas as far as the East Coast is concerned. And if we're talking overall, it's like Tupac, Ice Cube. Then, then like Biggie... Snoop Doggy Dog. And Snoop and Snoop is still, yeah, Snoop is still Snoop. Like the dog father did major numbers when it yeah. dropped. I didn't yeah. even I'm about to go down these sales, but yeah, I remember seeing the dog father sales. They were yeah, astronomical. The but I didn't even count that. I just stayed in New York. No, 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 I get it. But if we're just talking like in the full scope of things, it's like Mickey and Nas, at least like sales and notoriety wise, were on the low end of the spectrum in 95, 96. They were just running New York. But even with that, I mean, even with that, I mean, we're talking about like 1.5, like 3 million records. You know what I mean? Respectively, we're ready to die in, in life after death. So it's like the notoriety was coming more from New York being the Mecca and the street buzz that was kind of equating to the numbers that they were doing. But <clears throat> Jay really wasn't like, like Jay wasn't there. Like 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 that, like he was there, like in my lifetime it came out by now. Reasonable doubt, of course, is ninety-six. But when he was making it seem like they were like running it, and when he's talking about looking mm-hmm. up to him, well it's like, well, he's probably seeing Biggie's probably seeing like I'm running New York right now, but here's this guy that's from the same borough that I'm from, 
and he can run around with me money wise. Okay, so if he's talking about he look they well Jay well excuse me that Big looked up to Jay, he's not talking about musically. He's talking, talking about, about something else, right? Okay, so somebody says something in the comment section. I think that you're saying they said looked up to him on a street level slash business level because I know it couldn't have been music or talent wise. Of course not, because at the time we're talking about this man having one more chance, having Juicy, having Big Papa, having Warning, having Get Money. What does Jay have in comparison? Like, let's be real. No, but that's what I'm saying. You got to look at how a dude from Brooklyn is looking at it, though. Biggie been putting in work since like 92. Mm -hmm. It's 95, 96. He's the biggest rapper on the East Coast. And this guy, Jay, who people are just starting to recognize, can go dollar for dollar with him. Like they're going out together. He's probably seeing Jay and Jay's people. He's like, man, they're popping Crystal like I am. Like, hold on, like I'm big. And so what I think you're really saying is, is that that whole. <clears throat> When Biggie, he's probably the one that got big to realize what his contract looked like. And if that's the case, because Diddy said this, if that's the case, that's an indictment on Diddy, correct? And that's exactly and what that I was confirms. So it's funny that it would be coming from that place because he can't be talking musically or hit wise. Exactly. Because Biggie, along with Puff's Health, oh, they had that down 94, 95. Exactly. Yeah. And so, about that. And, and to go further with that, if that is the truth, that kind of confirms some of the notions and rumors out there that Big was going to leave, right? The plan was to do a double and then do a triple. That probably came from Jay to get out of the deal. That's probably why the whole commission thing could have been on hold, too. Exactly. It could have been for Big to get his freedom and drop the third one and then do the commission out. You know what I mean? I could see all of that. Uh, right, yeah. Reynolds with the Super Chat. Shout out to you, sir. He says, uh, the jarring thing about the Diddy slash Jay-Z... Um, phone call was Nasir wasn't mentioned a single time. Um, do you believe he's merely slipped their minds? Well, I will say, and I listened to the whole phone call, did he mention Nas one time? He was talking about how, you know, because somebody asked about the jump between ready to die life after death when it came to big skill set. And I like the comparison that uh, Puff gave. He was talking about like a ball player going out there and just getting comfortable with themselves and knowing who the fuck they are. And he said on Life After Death, he was like, on the first one, Big knew who he was, but after he, he specifically cited the One More Chance remix. He said after that One More Chance remix, he hit stride and really knew who he was. And that's what you're hearing on Life After Death. He said when Nas gets on the mic, he knows who the fuck he is. And he said when Kendrick gets on the mic, he knows who the fuck he is. So he mentioned Nas in that light. Well, Diddy did. Jay never mentioned Nas, but you know, whatever. We're going to get to that as well. Um, so if it's about business acumen and that's why he looked up to Jay, well, again, that's an indictment on his bad boy contract. And it also confirms further that if Big would have survived, he was leaving Bad Boy, correct? And he wasn't happy in his Bad Boy situation, right? If that's what he looked up to Jay for. Correct. And so when people are talking about imaginary players and he's uh, Jay's line, your single was 99 cents, mine was four bucks. Well, if he's talking about Mace, who Mace signed to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You rapping ass niggas, y'all funny to me. Selling records being you, but still you want to be me, I guess. For every buck you get, it's like a hundred for me. Still, Still walking around like you got something on me. 
Right. Okay. So Biggie seeing the life that Jay is living, like he's like, hold on. He's like, this is the dude that only got like one single floating out and got like ain't no nigga with Foxy floating around. He's running around with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're going to listen to what somebody like because people have to understand, too. Jay's older than Big. So when this conversation is happening, Big's like 23, 24. Jay's mm-hmm. like 26, 27. Yep. They from the same hood and seeing these hustling dollars, Jay and Dame done made together. He got a nigga from Uptown with him. He's from Brooklyn. That's not happening in 95, 96 like that. But the thing but I- is, let's be specific because when you say things in a blanket way like they did on this phone call, it makes people feel like people who are younger, who weren't there, it makes them feel like Biggie was looking up to Jay musically. And that's clearly not what it was. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and so, then, uh, and I think the other part of that, like I said, when, when Jay said, we, we were the hottest guys in New York City, in the world. And he was referring to 95, 96. Now, first week, Reasonable Doubt Sales, which came out in 96, Jay-Z sold 43,000 units of Reasonable Doubt the first week. And to put that in some sort of context, Ghostface came out with Iron Man that same year. His first week sales were 156,000. Now, uh, another one, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, Tribe, an album that, you know, it was kind of like their comeback album, but it really didn't reach the pinnacle of where they were. 135,000 units the first week. Nas, as it was written, 270,000 units the first week. Uh, Buster Rhymes The Coming, 209,000 uh, units the first week. Oh, you found some numbers, Mike. I did find some numbers. Uh, Foxy Brown, the Il Nana album, 109,000 units the first week. Mm. Um, I even went back to 95 because Old Dirty dropped his solo album. That was 81,000 the first week. Only Built for Cuban Links was 130,000 units the first week. Lil' Kim's Hardcore was 80,000 units the first week. We'll go to Busta Rhymes' sophomore album, um, Disaster Strikes, which was 97. 165,000 units the first week. Reasonable Doubt sold 43,000 units the first week. And he's going to tell you that him and Biggie were the biggest in New York and in the world. It's not the truth. And not to say that he didn't become those things. But historically, let's go ahead and look at it in historical context. That wasn't the case in 95, 96, like the picture that was depicted on that phone call. Uh, Ray Rims with the Super Chat, he says uh, he spoke about Nas's mindset on the mic, but they didn't talk about how much of a titan Nas was throughout Biggie's rap career. And that's the truth. And I just went through those numbers. You wouldn't think that Nas, as it was written, sold 270,000 units the first week. No, yes, yes, you should. It was number one on the rap and R&B charts four straight weeks during the summer. It was number one on like the charts total, I believe, that week. It came out of like number two or something like on total billboard charts. Like it did numbers. We're keeping in New York. I know people are mentioning Pac and somebody said something about volume two. I'm glad you mentioned volume two. Tupac in this 96 conversation. Tupac in this 96 conversation, like numbers wise and notoriety wise. No, we're not even. No, no, it's not even, (laughs) doesn't even register. Now, let me do this, too, because I want to be fair. People are mentioning volume two. Reasonable Doubt did 43,000 units the first week, right? That's 96. 97, volume one, that does 138,000 units the first week, right? Volume two, which is 98, 350,000 units the first week. That's Jay's biggest album, 350,000 units the first week. Um, 
Okay, so let's go to 98. DMX. It's dark and hell is hot. Does 251,000 units the first week. Flesh of my flesh, same year. 670,000 units the first week. Nas is I am. 470,000 units the first week. So I am and Flesh of my flesh outsold volume two in its first week. And volume two is the big one, right? It's very problematic. So, I mean, you know, look, if so, like I told you offline, if somebody would ask me a trivia question and be like, which album sold more the first week, volume two or I am? I would have said volume two and I would have been incorrect. Like I told you offline. Now imagine what the numbers look like on the sales of that album if he doesn't take Can I Get Up from Ja Rule. It's true. Um, you know, volume two is, let's just be real. And, and this is no disrespect. And I don't mean the rapper. You can go ahead and take a mill off his in a million like record sales off and take that five million down to four million. Well, I mean, you got that. You got, you got money ain't a thing. Well, no, you got to remember. No, no, no. Can I get I got played on Rush Hour. So it's getting movie love, too. That's what I'm saying about well, that. Well, see, that, you know what? That's the trick, too. Because that's yeah. the same thing with that nigga. Because ain't no nigga was on the Nutty Professor soundtrack. That's what I mean. So, like, he... Like I said, business acumen-wise, oh, this guy legendary. Good as it gets, like, as far as, like, business-wise, how his mind works and how to navigate through these shark-infested waters that he speaks of. Oh, no, he's he's the best navigator of so, the water. And I mentioned those things, you know, in context, because, again, on the phone call, if somebody wasn't there and wasn't listening to hip-hop in 96 or wasn't even born in hip-hop, they would listen to this phone call and feel like, okay, yeah, Biggie and Jay were running New York in 96. But based on the numbers, and I mean, honestly, I mean, that's all we really got to go off on, right? Because the quote is, we were the hottest guys in New York. How do we measure hotness, right? We measure that by numerical sales, I would imagine, in hip-hop, especially during the era where people actually bought music. And based on that, you weren't hotter than Ghostface in 96. You weren't hotter than Tribe in 96. Definitely weren't hotter than Nas in 96. Weren't hotter than Busta in 96. Uh, weren't hotter than Raekwon in 95 or 96 because he brought up 95. Weren't hotter than uh, Foxy Brown, Old Dirty, Lil' Kim. I mean, what are we talking about? I mean, Mace Harlem World did a, 175000 the first week. Hold on. And so, well, listen, to, so I'm going to hit you with the other side. Well, if we're talking about the streets, Mike, and we're talking about the streets of New York, and we're not talking about record sales, okay? And it's 95, 96. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. And, you know, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But didn't the infamous In Hell on Earth come out in 1995? I and couldn't find the sales for that, but yes. The infamous was 95 and Hell on Earth was 96. Who they changed really everything. Who were they running the streets? Yeah. Uh, Uncle like Fram says, yo, <laughs> The Rock was selling CDs out of the trunk on um, Reasonable Doubt. That's I mean, like, no, 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 no. You know what? That's cool and stuff, you know, in, in conversation. Like, so they, they were on priority. Exactly. Let's not the do that. Priority didn't give them any promotion. Death Jam is the one that gave them the distribution of the promotion. No, 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 no. I mean, I hear that, but they were still on priority. And you know who was selling units on priority? You. He had no problem selling units on priority. Master okay. P didn't either. Okay, and Master just, P actually had to put up more of his, his own money than they did. And you educated me. They had an 85-15 deal, not an 80-20 deal. And with that being said, Master P had to put up everything. And this is during the same period. 
So, I'm, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> hey, I'm the one that told you about the 8515 with P. You know how I feel about P as a businessman. He is the first guy you should go see and talk to. And this is yeah. all priority. So, this it's not like, priority. you know what I'm saying? Were... Probably, Ice Cube's probably top five in terms of people you should talk to yeah. uh, business-wise. So, yeah. No, so it wasn't like they were sitting here pressing up these CDs and going out to the trunk and, and handing them oh, out no. to people. No, I remember here in Atlanta when I was a kid, they was playing Can't Knock the Hustle down here. They was playing uh, yes. Filling It Down Here. Yes. And like we said before, Ain't No Nigga was, oh, I was on the Nutty I, Professor soundtrack. That was everywhere. I was down here summer at 96. Mike, that was the ATL in summer where they played ATL on the radio the whole way through. Like, ain't no nigga yeah. was making like the top five at five all yeah. the time, consistently. Like, yeah, this wasn't some like, underground wonder. Hold on. Um, um, the original version of Who You With from the Sprung soundtrack was getting played down here. Well, yeah, that That's was, awesome. yeah, that, that was volume one. But yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was Four 97. One, but they were playing that a lot. Because I remember yeah. they were playing that that who you it and Lil John's who you it at the same time. Yep. Yep. So, but he, but when he's saying run in New York, well, well, New York's really really crowded in '96, and this is why it's arguably the best rap year ever. Well, Foxy and Kim got projects. Mop dropped Fire and Squad. Mm-hmm. Lost Boys dropped Legal Drug Money. Busta Rhymes dropped Becoming. Help the Skeleton dropped Nocturnal. Mob Deep dropped Hell on Earth. They Lost Soul dropped Stakes Is High. J. Rue, uh, the Damager. Um, uh, released his uh, The Wrath of the Math. Nas, of course, with it was written. Ghost with Iron Man. No, it's heavy in 96. That's just New York. Like, we can go down to Philly and go over to Jersey and I can give you some Red Man and some Roots classics. LP says, Steph's great. Yes, he is. Series ain't over, though. Um, oh, Lord, my goodness. <laughs> no, we're not going to go there because I want to stay on course here. I think okay. we're on something good right now. You know... I, th- I say all this to say with these units that were being sold, and somebody said, what about cash money? Cash money was under Universal, so we're talking about priority right now. And uh, for people who don't know, Reasonable Doubt was actually on priority records. And yeah, it wasn't an out-the-trunk type of deal. You could actually go to a store at any uh, record store in the nation and buy Reasonable Doubt. It wasn't like, you know, you got to go to Brooklyn and go buy it out the trunk from Jay or something. That, that wasn't the case. But to say all that, the 43,000 units, Iron Man was doing 156,000. And from what I'm seeing in these numbers here, and Tribe doing 135,000, right? Nas is doing 270,000 in that 96 year. So let's just keep it real. Nas is the guy in 96 in New York, yeah, right? He did he did more, more units than anybody in New York hip hop in 96. So he's the guy. Yeah, so um, hold on. Let's just let's get, let's get let's get ninety six hip hop in order, just notoriety wise. Right, it goes Tupac, the Fugees, Nas. Yeah. Okay, that's what ninety six looks like notoriety wise, like realistically, like in terms of street buzz, album actually being good, and the actual vi- like everything, the total package. That, that's the order in 96. Jay's not part of that order. Here's what reasonable doubt is. In arguably the greatest year of the 90s, in, one of the, in what I consider to be still a top five hip-hop year, maybe a top three hip-hop year, he made arguably its, its best rap album. It's just because of how the climate was set up and because of the notoriety of other people, you really didn't hear it 
its classic status really didn't start growing until the year was almost over. But he said that himself. I mean, he said, I gave you prophecy on my first joint. Y'all lamed out. Didn't really appreciate it till the second one came out. He said this in 98. So why is the narrative changing now? Like, this was, yeah, we was on top of the city. You know what I mean? Like, when this album came out, it's just, like I said, not saying that that wouldn't have been the deal if Big would have survived. And in 98, he drops Hard Knock Life. Who knows? But the reality of the situation is he, him and Big weren't on top of New York in 96. It was just Big and Nas. Like, it's just what it is. And Wu-Tang was over here because clearly everybody on Wu-Tang was doing units. Ghost comes out with his debut and does 156,000. You know what I'm saying? Raekwon does 130,000. These guys aren't even Method Man, really, at the time. <laughs> Old Dirty comes out the gate doing 80-something thousand. I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, like, the Purple Tape and, and Reasonable Doubt, like, numbers-wise, like, if you're talking, like, a calendar year, if you would go, for like, 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 Purple Tape did more numbers. Cause the thing yeah, Purple Tape, tape like, dwarfs Reasonable Doubt. Like, year. Yeah. And then, like, Reasonable Doubt did, like, 600 in a year. So it's like, yeah, but I mean... But that's not to take anything away from Jay. It's just not an accurate depiction of yeah. what's going on. I mean, you got, I mean, just, and this is what I mean. If you start filling out the whole conversation, it's like, well, you got AT Aliens, you got The Score, you got yeah. Muddy Waters, you got Illidale Half-Life, you got West Side Connection with Bow Down, you got All Eyes on Me and Machiavelli. Like, not running anything in 95, 96. I mean, he, again, he's multi, he said this. Right. He's what? Jay has acknowledged this on multiple occasions where he says, you know, reasonable doubt classics should have went triple. Right. Let, let's not change the narrative. Now, you know, that out the gate, it was a struggle. And he even said on this call, it took him to volume two to really find his stride, which well, I get what he's saying. But obviously, in my personal opinion, reasonable doubt still his best album. But he was more so probably talking about radio. But even with that being said, we got to get things correct. And it's okay to give Nas his props. It's okay to be like, you know what? In 96, Big and Nas had. 97, I was coming. 98, I was there. Okay, so let's go to the quality of the music. Because here, here's always been my thing. And, I, and, and I'll be honest with how I'm referencing this. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, when I was 20 years old, my top five rap albums of all time were Illmatic, only built for Cuban links, Southern Playalistic, Ready to Die, and Reasonable Death. I do not love the way that the latter three have changed in relationship to the first two. Not to say that they're still not classics to me or great, but I don't feel the same about Reasonable Doubt and Ready to Die and Southern Playalistic at 40 that I do at 20. And so I say that to say that if Jay made the best rap album in 1996, that's as debatable as it gets for a lot of people because there are a lot of people that still do feel like it was written was better. There are people that prefer stakes as high. There are people that prefer ATLs. We just talked in New York. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because I think All Eyes on Me is probably the one. I'm about to say, there are people that prefer All Eyes on Me. I told you, my cousin Six prefers Muddy Waters. There are people, yeah. don't forget about the score and the impact of the score. The Fugees were better, bigger than anybody in hip hop except for Tupac in 96. Yeah, that's real. Uh, LP with the super chat says Nas four straight weeks at number one first time in hip hop. Yeah, that's yep. what some of. But that's a, that was on that was on the hip hop and R and B charts. Mm -hmm. Like 
Like it wasn't on overall Billboard, but he was the first one rap out and to go four straight weeks on the hip hop and R and B charts. Four straight weeks, correct? LP with the super chat says, "How many beats and features did rappers get that would have went to Big if he was alive? Are we sure that Big doesn't get Hard Not Life or Hate Me Now? I think that's a very interesting conversation. I've never." thought about it in that context because at that point in hip-hop producers were trying to get the biggest artists their production right so imagine the production that Pac and big may have received that ended up going to other people not to mention when you have producers and kanye's notorious for this making a beat with a certain person in mind you know what i'm saying I think that conversation is more fascinating for Tupac than Big because Big always had access to that. And it seems like when Pac got the death rose, when those production floodgates opened, it's like, we have beats to match this man's voice. And so I would be more excited to hear like the, the beat selection from Pac just because Pac hadn't had the full access to it on set on his first three albums, quality and diversity of producer-wise, in my opinion, the way that Big did. Like, Big literally walked in getting tracks from people. Like, I don't think people understand, like, like Easy Mo, like Easy Mo B worked with Kane, right? And Easy Mo B worked with Kane, right? I think so. I believe yeah, so. Easy Mo B worked with a lot of people. Right. Mo B already put in work. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. don't think I need to bring up, like, the yeah, whole Yeah, Mo B group. was an OG. Yeah, Mo B is an OG. You know, um, I mean, I don't think I have to explain who Primo is when Primo's stepping in. Who's the other guy that's on there? Chucky Thompson. Yeah, Chucky yeah. Thompson. Um, yeah. Calvin, not Calvin Brody, Carlos Brody. Carlos Brody, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. these guys are already certified, like like, like been in sessions and stuff. You know, one thing that I forgot about, Mike. We and, and this is what I mean. Like, you know, Large Professor in in, in one year, like did Cool G Raps, Wanted Dead or Alive, and Eric D and Rakim's Let the Rhythm Hit. That's awesome. Are you and sure you know what? He not- had to do Let the Rhythm Hit him, kind of like under duress too, because the guy that was going to do it. Got, you know, just murdered. Correct. Yeah. So, so you know, when, when we're talking about him, and I, I know I hate the sidebar like this, it's just one of those things, like, in relationship to Pete Rock and Q-Tip and Primo, it's like, are you sure he's not right there with him? I think that, the <laughs> unfortunately, what I would say, and, you know, you know, I love Large Professor, and I, I think he did some of the best work on Illmatic. He's the reason why Illmatic even came together in the way that it did. I just wish that, you know, whatever happened politics-wise in the industry, or maybe not, I just wish that he would have been able to continue on that run that he was on in the early 90s with the people that were, you know, coming through. Because I think that's where that's where Primo separates from a lot of people. He had the Gangstar stuff, and he got all the right placements. And he was in position to work with everybody that was hot, and then he, he came through when he did it. Like, can you imagine if Large Professor, and I feel like this about Ski Beats, too, that's on uh, Reasonable Doubt. Like, I would have loved to have seen them work with Big, seen them work with, um, you know what I'm saying, Nas, Jay, all them, you know what I mean? And Premier worked with everybody, KRS. Right. So, the, okay, so that's the thing. Okay, producers are very akin to coaching and coaches, and so... What's been special about Primo is is that it's almost like the MCs have bought the A-list MCs have bought their A game to his tracks the I know most. Where you're going. 
and, 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 and I don't know how to qualify or quantify that in relationship to is the beat better necessarily or has he just gotten more placements? I just know when it has happened, it's happened that way. Well, I think he got the placement and, and you know, not to interrupt you, but I want to piggyback off something you said that I think is really good. It is kind of like coaching, right? And I think that Premier would be one of those producers that would be more of like a, a Popovich or something or a Bill Belichick, say. Like, you buy into the Premier system. And when you get into that system, you know what you're getting into whenever you get a Premier track. See, I think it's more like, it's it's, it's more Larry Brown. Okay. You know what I mean? I feel it's like not- Larry Brown did the most with less, though. That's... No, but what I'm saying is, is that like when you gave him players, though, he got the most out of those players. Like Allen Iverson's best with Larry Brown, Rasheed Wallace's best with Larry Brown. Like when you gave him Chauncey, that player, yeah. yeah, when you gave him that kind of player, that player played MVP or championship type basketball for him. And it seems like he was the only one that got that out of him. It's like, well, Nas hasn't remade New York state of mind in memory lane and represent yet. Has he? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and unbelievable on ready to die is really the mic performance. People remember because it's like when he's talking on your nobody till somebody kills you, like with my sycamore style, more sicker than yours, like unbelievable is where that starts to take flight. And yeah. you and, and even history has shown that it's like, well, that was one of the latter stage recordings on mm-hmm. Ready to Die. And you're listening to and his phone and delivery on there. And they're like, no, he's bringing out the best in him in a way that these other tracks aren't on here with the exception of maybe the what in Everyday Struck. Um, Clayton is asleep, says all eyes on me and me against the world are definitely over reasonable doubt, in my opinion. See, that's what I mean. So even though reasonable doubt, I guess, in a lot of our minds. Is the best rap album of 1996. When you listen, I've always told people this. Well, production-wise, you can't necessarily tell me that it's better than it was written. You can't tell me it's better lyrically either, but it has that feeling to it, and it's his breakthrough album, his best album, and his come-out album. But there's other classic stuff right there with it. Like, if you told me that you thought All Eyes on Me was better, I wouldn't argue with you. It was written, Illadelph Half-Life, Muddy Waters, The Score, AT Aliens. There's tons. There's tons of stuff to pick from in 96, Mike. There's tons of stuff to pick from. Stakes as high as 96, too. I'm thinking, is Riding Dirty 96? Yep. Oh, Tominette says, um, you got Moment of Truth's numbers, Mike? Yes, I do. Moment of Truth did 97,000 units the first week. That's nice. You know mm-hmm. my steams. Uh, Man Nan says, uh, Large Professor still got fired in the 2000s, 2010s, and recent. Yeah, man, he got fired. I think I think him and Pete Rock, they stay working. Now, I want to get to this moment of truth, which was 98, doing mm-hmm. 97,000 units the first week. Now, most people consider Gangstar like the pillar of, I mean, obviously they were on a major but they had an underground sound, underground vibe. They're not out here being overly commercialized in a promotional manner. They did 97000 So, and I'm not shitting on Reasonable Doubt. I think it's a great album. But the fact that Reasonable Doubt did 43000 lets you know that, you know, it all hadn't connected yet publicly. And you can't say that somebody who did 43,000 units the first week is the hottest in New York. You just can't say that. There's nothing to really... Unless we're talking about some other shit that's outside of music, 
we can't really quantify that. You know what I'm saying? And I thought that all this was about music. Hey, can I sidebar right quick about, since we're having like some sidebar producer conversations about Primo and Moment of Truth right quick. You know, part of what makes Moment of Truth such an undisputed classic on like the next level, like on that nuance level, like you know what you're hearing beat-wise, rhyme-wise, life-wise is classic. Like JFK, the LAX, oh, like, like, like the life story to that, classic. Betrayal with Scarface, Make Them Pay with Crumb Snatcher, no, 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 classic life stuff. Beat stuff, I don't think we even need to question that. Rhyme stuff. Uh, a guru is as best as he ever ever been. But think about this. It's 1998. Yeah. Listen to those tracks. He could have been giving those tracks to Biggie, J, and Nas. Can you imagine Biggie rhyming over You Know My Steve's or Nas rhyming over royalty or Jay rhyming I, over work? I love royalty, man. I think that Moment of Truth is one of my... Actually, I think it's the best premier produced albums. It is. Yeah. In my it personal is. opinion. Listen to his, no, like, beat-wise... That's his best stuff right there. Like, he gave Guru his best stuff. Like, you know my steez? Because I don't care what people say. Like, you know my steez? If Biggie's rapping over it, is like having a conversation, like one of those, like, greatest, like, rap. Like, it's up there with, like, Who Shot You, like, greatest rap song ever type of. You know what I'm saying? Well, one of the other things that I want to talk about, too, uh, from this phone call from, uh, I think Elliot Wilson was, was, like, holding the phone call. Um, and kind of, I guess, being the interviewer or moderator, for lack of a better term. I feel like Tupac got shorted. And I want to get to that in a second. Let me get to uh, Truist, the Super Chat. He says, do Illmatic's numbers in nine, do Illmatic's numbers in 94 now? Yeah, we know Illmatic did, like, what, 69,000 the first week or whatever? I mean, first of all, I mean, first of all, Illmatic did paltry numbers this first year too. It sold like three hundred thousand records, but Jay bought up ninety five, ninety six. Illmatic is ninety four. Yeah. Although I get the truest trying to like you know like like yeah yeah of course the truest is always gonna troll. I expect it. Uh, LP says uh, Group Homes album is the most wasted production album. Oh, it's the beat. How about this beat wise? That's right there with a moment of truth for Primo, but the way that they delivered, and also, too, the guest appearances also, of course, helped along moment of truth, because, like, Crumb Snatcher, Scarface, Inspect the Deck, Freddie Fox, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Okay, well, all right, so they were talking about life after death, and I think that they were talking about Biggie's growth, and Diddy said, you know, what he said about just Big being comfortable to that point where that's why he was able to execute in the way that he did. And uh, I think they were bringing up more money, more problems and song structure and those things like that and using the Diana Ross sample or whatever. And Jay made the comment that he says something along the lines that they didn't have song structure at that point in hip hop. And this is why. And, you know, and Big was very transformative in that manner. And I'm sitting here like, okay, is somebody going to give Tupac some props for song structure? Or He brought up the chronic now. He said, you know, okay, there's the chronic, but you know, Jay and Dr. Dre have dealings. Are we going to talk about Doggy Style? Are we going to talk about Dear Mama? Are we going to talk about, um, not even just shed so many tears, but I was going to say, keep your head up. Are we going to talk about these songs? Because these songs came before Life After Death. 
California Love. We're going to talk about that. Like Tupac did a lot when it comes to song structure and groundwork, not to mention LL Cool J. But if we want to talk about on some street shit, a street rapper being able to make crossover commercialized music in a, a radio palatable way, Tupac's the guy that did that. And they totally left him out of that conversation. I think something kind of uh, important happened when Pac did the records on Above the Rim. I think it was the first time that you had really heard like some classic street records that you didn't get a video. To, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was just like, it's like, no, that's a classic hip hop song. It's like, well, where's the video to it? It's like, he ain't got no video to it. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> you know? You talking about pain? Because there's a video for Pour Out a Little Liquor. Yeah, but even yeah. with, I mean, did that come out? Did it coincide? Because I feel like the song came out and then the video got made. Yeah, well, I think so. Something like that. But, and that was on Thug Life, so, you know. But yeah, because I feel like it, it, it came out and then it got made about the demand of it. But I mean, but yeah, but even but with Pain and with Pour Out a Little Liquor, because I'm pretty certain the video got made after the record it got dropped. Like, and they seen the, st- I, don't, I don't think it was planned for that to be a song. You know, that was released like for video like that. I don't think so. Let, let's keep it a buck, though. There was song structure. We're going to forget about Tribe. Like, are we forgetting about the low end theory? Can I kick it? Like, there's song structure in hip hop. I mean, hold on. I mean, what are we talking about? Don't we sing Rock M and KRS One and Cool G Rap and like LL, like, and all these guys' praises about their ability to put a song together? early on and yeah. make it great. Like, I mean, aren't they the ones that really put together the structure of like song? For, I mean, isn't it disrespectful to them? Like, all it is, stuff? it is. And you know, and again, I know people get on these, you know, clubhouses and just start talking and that, that's cool that this is like the only way that we're going to be able to get interviews from certain people in hip hop now. But I think when people are on a phone call, they get to talking and just say things and maybe when they hang up, they're like, man, I shouldn't have said it like that or whatever. Because he even said that, uh, I think Jay said something about, uh, I think Rakim played the clarinet. Rakim played the saxophone. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he knew that. Maybe he's just going off. But that's why we're here to kind of put these conversations in context so people don't take everything that's just said in a, in a clubhouse conversation as history. Um, New Jam says, Talib... And high-tech study moment of truth for train of thought. I can believe that. I can believe that. And that that's interesting. I never thought about that. But I can definitely believe that because I think uh, train of thought is brilliant. Tabanette says, Diddy is the king of all cap. <laughs> I actually listened to train of thought this week. LP, and I'm going to get to your comments on that too. LP says, uh, was Jay listening to rap in 96? He was older than his peers. He probably wasn't even paying attention because he is tripping. LOL. <laughs> no, that's true. Like, like for real, like, mm-hmm. Biggie's like 23, 24. Nas is like 21, 22. Pac is 25. Jay's yeah. 27. Yeah. 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 Um. So you were listening to Train of Thought. No, it's just, it's just a brilliant record. I can see. I was actually thinking about how you prefer it to Black on both sides like you think it's a better album it i can is. see what you say uh why you say that like i feel like it's probably more concise than uh than black on both sides is it's just i like the brilliance of most even though he's riffing and it's not as concise but i could see why you think that it's better than black on both sides which means you know it disturbs very very high praise 
It's about time with the super chat says, I'm so tired of people leaving Pac out of certain conversations. Like he wasn't one of the biggest hip hop artists with street and crossover records. You know what? I'm going to say this. I I think that, and and all respect to my New York people. I love New York City, man. I love my folks up there. But I think that sometimes you New Yorkers and you know that. And I know if if, uh, my people at Rap Roundtable in the room, they can contest to this. Sometimes New York only sees New York. And anybody outside of New York, they don't even consider. It's like, it's all about New York and anybody outside of those parameters doesn't even count. I think that's what a little bit of this is. Well, here's well, here's another thing that I want um, people to understand, too. Like, so let's go to 94 right quick and understand. And this is what I mean. And I spoke about the dynamics of 96 is the year the money changes. And what I'm talking about, the money changing is that here's what's going on with hip hop, at least on the East coast. Everybody out West who is big is coming out and is going like platinum, double platinum, triple Mm -hmm. platinum, quadruple platinum. Like I want you to understand like pop before all eyes on me is already a multi-platinum rapper. Yeah. Okay. Ice Cube, multi-platinum rapper. Snoop, multi-platinum rapper. Dr. Dre, easy. Like, you, you get what I'm saying? You can go down the line. Like, these dudes are going platinum. NWA. Oh, NWA, this is a time when Too Short, Too Short is going gold or platinum every time he comes out. Mike, like, it's nothing. Every time Short dropping, Short going at least gold, maybe platinum, depending on which album and how people vibe to it. But he's going at least gold. Short going at least gold when he's dropping. All right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how the West is moving. In 1994, like, Ready to Die's first week's sales are, are like, akin to um, Illmatic's and Reasonable Doubt. So in 94, the East Coast still isn't moving, like, sales and notoriety and pushing the meter on the bigger pulse of the culture-wise in terms of outside the spectrum of hip-hop. That's why it was such a big deal that Ready to Die did 1.5 million. But, like... But you know who changed that, though? Not to interrupt you. Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang had a following global, like they were a New York act that had a global following and anything that came from that branch, it's kind of like G-Unit and all that before G-Unit. Because when you see, I I mean, when I pulled up the Iron Man numbers, I was like, damn, Ghost did 156,000 the first week of his debut album? See, but this is what I'm saying. So in 93 and 94, like the momentum is being built for the numbers that you start seeing, like like in yeah. 93, 94, 95, you're not seeing like guys selling two, three, four hundred thousand units is what I'm saying. Yeah. On the East Coast. In 96, that starts happening. Like Nas doing 270. When Nas is talking on Hate Me Now, talking about first rapper to bring a platinum plaque back to the project, like he's talking from the perspective that it's like literally in about a four or five week stretch. It was written with platinum. It's 96. No, Mike, that hadn't happened before that fast. That didn't happen that fast for Big. It definitely didn't happen that fast. It didn't happen for Rakim. Cool G. You get what I'm saying? And so honestly, man, we got to be 100. Like, it wasn't Jay that broke ground for this. Ooh. If anything, the groundbreakers for this were Woo, Big, and Nas, right? And so, hold on. And let's go to Puff's part to play in this. Ready to Die did 1.5 off the strength of what, Mike? Remixes. One more change. And so understand understand that Ready to Die without the remixes is probably going to go gold like what? Like Reasonable Doubt, like Illmatic, like the Purple Tape. You get what I'm saying? No, you're right. Like Liquid Sword. Puff is a genius. Yeah, Puff is a genius. So Puff is a genius, and we get some of the best rap songs ever 
because he can fit, convince the most versatile rapper ever to be versatile. That's mm-hmm. how we got Juicy. That's yep. how we got Big Papa. That's how we got the One More Chance remix. That's how we got Get Money. That's how we got Hit in the Tide. That's how we got More Money, More Problems. I want to get to that Get Money remix because Puff's... We can always get to the Get Money remix. Frank Puff says something that I want to get to on that. Uh, Marquez with the Super Chat, man. Appreciate the $20 Super Chat here. He says... Here's what I say about Jay. His consistency put him in number one. That run from 96 to 03 changed people's perspective of him. But that does not mean that he was the best during the time. Big Pac, Nas, DMX, and Big Pun, and all of them was outside. And it's real. It's not. I mean, it's it's literally the definition of revisionist history. Because we're looking at things and how we see Jay-Z. Now, it was not always like that. Mad Max of the Super Chat says, I'm from New York. Pac is my favorite. Chill. And why I do hate on Pac, though, but not all of us. Pac is that guy, period. Well, see, Mad Max, you're a little younger. I think that there's something, and I know we were on the phone with, um, on the line with um, um, Jar from Rap Roundtable, and he was saying he wasn't rocking with Pac. Remember? You remember that conversation? And a lot of that was because he's from New York and he was outside at the time when it was a back and forth. Mike, I've told you I've had conversation with so many New Yorkers that I have known personally, that I have referenced a Tupac phrase from a song or something, and they'd be like, no, 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 I missed that. I'd be like, how'd you miss that? They'd be like, you know, that's when all that was going on. I was like, you didn't go back and listen? <laughs> they'd be like, no, nah, because you want to know why? Loyalty. Right, right. LP with the super chat, he says, uh, Jay and Puff look at Pac like a fake thug. Mm, I'm no, no well, I'm, I can't speak on that. Antonio with the super chat, shout out to Antonio over here. Says, I'm, speaking I'm, of Mos and Quali, I still need no fear of time to be released on vinyl. Side note, I'm tired of the revisionist history from these celebrities. Me too. It's like, you know, and, and again, I'm glad that we have a platform here and I'm glad we're able to talk to you guys because... When I hear those things, I'm like, yeah, man, we got to bring this up on the show because there are young people out there who will listen to anything that these celebrities say, and especially the ones that were there. Because you have a special, you have a special perspective when you were actually in the studio and have a relationship with Big and were there. So you have a responsibility also to be honest because whatever you say, most people are going to take it for face value. You know what I'm saying? And I, I don't I don't like this revisionist history stuff, man. We gotta be honest or hip-hop history is just gonna be in disarray. It's one of the reasons why me and Coop started the yearbook anyway. Like, you know, and if you don't have the 2020 yearbook, 2021 yearbook, go to Amazon and get it. We'll have the uh, link in the description. But yeah, it's important, man, to be able to document things properly. Like, even when I looked up uh, the fact that Nas's I Am did 470,000 units the first week, I was like, damn, I didn't realize it did that. And I knew I knew X did numbers, but I didn't realize that Flesh of My Flesh did 670,000 units the first week. Now, you know what? Those are the kind of numbers to say I'm the hottest in New York. So understand what... Okay, so this is what I'm talking about. Like, And, and, and you're right about the big Nas Wu-Tang thing. They're the ones that set New York on fire for the people that came after them and for them to strike. And Jay is one of those people. Like, Jay is one of the beneficiaries of the work that Big Nas and Wu-Tang did. He's one because of the biggest beneficiaries. Like, Nas gets like, pegged as the guy who didn't sell records. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting here looking at these numbers like, 
Nas did numbers. No, but, okay, so when this explosion was going on that he is partially responsible for, he is also being a beneficiary because it was written in I Am, if I'm not mistaken, are both triple platinum albums. Probably. Now, I didn't go with the total sales, but if something's doing 270 units the first week and another one's doing 470 units the first week, triple platinum sounds like where it you know, ends up landing. Uh, Ray right. Rims with the Super Chat says, Beyond record sales, whether low or high, at least half of America rap like Nas after Illmatic. That goes from artists to stick-up kids. Mm. Well, the impact of Illmatic is ever-reaching, uh, regardless of what the numbers say. Um, LP with the Super Chat says, The South Road with Pop then went straight into No Limit and Cash Money. That is funny. I, I've said this before. DMX brought New York music back to the South. Jay and them wasn't getting love. Well, what do you got to say about that? Because I want to say something about that. Hold on, hold on. Even with X. So let's understand. So <clears throat> X is first album. Mm-hmm. It's dark and hell is hot. Now the explosion has happened. It's still literally, he's still literally doing the same numbers that Nas is doing for it was written first week. Yeah. Okay? And, that's, and that's with Def Jam behind him. Mm-hmm. He had been on countless singles. He had been on Money, Power, Respect. He had been on 4321. He had been on the, uh, the little Def Jam CDs with Ja Rule. You get what I'm saying? He was literally everywhere. They put him everywhere. And he still only did 250,000 units. And for all that buzz and all that hype and all that money that they put in. Well, not, let's not say only. That's a lot. No, no. Out the gate. It, oh, it, it, it wasn't until he literally dropped a classic rap album that had viable street and radio singles on him that on the second time around that he was able to come and do those type of numbers that he did that superseded and made him say, I'm the hottest rapper in the game. Because even when It's Dark and Hell is Hot came out with Get At Me Dog and everything that I'm talking about, you know what that got him? That got him the same units Nas got for dropping If I Rule the World two years before. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and I think that also, we got to be real, I think that the ever-reaching reach of Illmatic and everything else kind of helped the sales that it was written as well. I don't think the Illmatic was the recipient of itself, but I think that it ended up helping it was written uh, numerically. And um, I am. Now, this is what I do want to... Um, I want to comment on what he said about the South, or uh, what LP said, and I agree with that. The South was really latching on the pop. And me personally, I, I'm from Atlanta for the people who don't know, and I grew up here. And... I was more of a Wu-Tang, Biggie kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? So people in my classroom looking at me weird. Like, everybody was on Pac. Like, niggas was dressing like Pac. Niggas had the bandanas like Pac. And I remember when Pac passed, everybody was so torn. We was like in, like, what, at the time, what, ninth grade? And, um, and I saw Master P come in and pretty much give... Tupac fans, a new artist to latch on to. He did those songs dedicated to Pac. You know, he had the Only God Could Judge Me stuff going on. And yeah, so that was the transition. And I remember when DMX came, Niggas in the South was rocking with X because he had a certain energy to his flow. And he had a certain perspective too. And he kind of gave people... I don't want to say he was Pac, but he gave people that perspective and that relatability that Pac had. So the South was rocking with Pot, then No Limit, and the definitely DMX. Now, I, I can't attest to that. The South gravitates towards the artist 
from the East Coast that are the most approachable on the street that they feel like they can talk to. And so I'll give you an example of somebody else who has it like that, who, you know, has people down here. Ray, Ray Corn. Like the South I would say the meth musically, the South was fucking with Ray, but mostly meth and Buster, I would say. Like But also too, like those guys are approachable. If you yeah. were to roll I've actually rolled when I was younger, I actually rolled up on meth and red once. Like, you can say what up to them. You get what I'm saying? And so right. Southern, Southerners, us, we tend to take those type of artists in a little bit more. X gives you that in spades. I told you, I know I know a woman, her and, uh, well, her, her and her ex-husband, they used to own a barber shop that X used to go to. And he would come down there and, like, freestyle, talk to people. Like, that's what I mean. It's just yeah. like, no, 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 that, that plays better than he was a you're man of the people. You're the soul, and you're a man of the people. Yeah. Well, see, this is the thing, and see, all of those people were able from, and these are East Coast MCs that were able to organically connect with the South. But the way Jay Z did it was through collaborations. Like, okay, I'm gonna need to get the South, so I'm gonna jump on this money in the thing with Jermaine Dupri because I know I'm gonna get some spins in Atlanta with that. And oh, it's a high remix. You got these guys in Louisiana; they doing their thing. Let me jump on that. That's how he was, you know, attempting to connect. But like you said, these other people were kind of organically connecting. And it took Jay a little bit more time to connect in that way. But he would have to, like, make a big pimping with UGK and stuff like that to actually get that kind of love from different regions. And he strategically did those collaborations for those purposes. Yeah, the high remix. Yeah. He didn't want to get on that. He sounded crazy on there. Those are intentional places. Uh, uh, AKs and curtains with the twenty dollars super chat, man. Appreciate you, sir. He says, uh, "I'm from Brooklyn, and there was a wall up. If you didn't come from the east, I had to go back and find things when I got older." Said there was a wall up. If I, if you didn't come from the east, I had to go back and find things when I was older. Yeah, and you know we were. I hate to say it, like I think the South was kind of discriminatory towards the east back then, but I think it was a reaction to how the East was treating the South. Now, West was wide open, and that's why everybody was gravitating to Pac. We were, in Atlanta, we were gravitating to Texas. We were gravitating to the Bay. Shit, niggas from the Bay came and lived out here. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, and it, it, we were talking about Southern Playlistic the other day, and even the approach of the outcast or organized noise had for outcasts on Southern Playlistic is very West Coast centric as far as like production styles. There's there's something. Um, I mean, look how to look at how Jermaine Dupri produced the brat on Funkified. Same thing. It's the same thing with Texas and the West Coast too, actually. Yeah. Like you know, you you hear the stories coming out now about how Pimp C didn't even want to do the big pimping thing with Jay because Pac didn't like him. He didn't even know Pac, but it was like that serious, you know, because Pac was who we connected to down here. Like has like you know attainable, touchable. It's like, no, 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 I don't know those New York guys. Pop me down here. Pop me through my hood. Like, you know. Pop lived in Decatur. Uh, Bagger Jones says, hey, cool, where'd you get that big shirt from? It's fine. Well, there'll be none of that. Ah! There'll be none of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, shoot Mike a line, like, on, on the inbox. I'll yeah, yeah, what. yeah. Hit us at the uh, info at according to hiphop.com. We got you. Um, okay. This is actually trending on Twitter right now. And I was like, you know what, man? Me and Coop need to talk about this on live because I think we've talked about this before, but not in recent time. 
Who would you say is the most influential rapper of all time? I mean, I still, I mean, I'm going to probably go back to Tupac again, but I mean, that's probably my age, time, and personal bias, too. If you told me Kanye or Wayne, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you too much. I would just state Pac's case appropriately. Okay. I'm agree. I'm going to agree with you. I think that overall, and I think I told you this offline, like, Obviously, Rakim, stylistically, we hear everybody in Rakim, right? So he's kind of like a whole different type of figure for that. But as far as like image-wise, um, you know, musically, lyrically even, um, and, and, and even the fact that we don't really give Pac that credit for song structure on a radio level, because a lot of people have what Pac has when it comes to how do you put together songs that are palatable to, you know, urban radio or just crossover radio. He has that impact there. I'm going to say Pac as well. Um, now, if we were going to do it by decades and different eras, I'm going to say Rakim in the 80s. I would say Pac in the 90s. Like I said, I got Pac overall. In the 2000s. I think Kanye is probably the most influential. Uh, in the 2010s, I might say Wayne. Because they got kids everywhere. And I think you kind of judge those things by how many kids people got. Like, I, yeah. It's, well, here's the thing with it, too. And, and I'm not being funny when I say this or trying to throw shade. Pac is dropping singles that are outselling the East Coast rap artist albums. Like, how do you want it? Hit them up, California love. I ain't mad at you. Like the singles are doing better than a lot of major rappers' albums. Yeah, the singles, and so it's not that just the records. Like these, some of these songs are like hip hop classics, but they're like major in terms of the notoriety. And then you go back and listen to the writing that's going on, and some of the writing is pretty major too. Even on how the on how do you want it, Mike? He's going see Dolores Tucker use a motherfucker instead of instead of trying to help a nigga, you destroy a brother. Worse than the others, Bill Clinton, Mr. Bob Dole. You're too old to understand the way the game's told. You're lame, I'm so sorry, I gotta hit, hit you with the hot facts. Yeah. Um. Oh my God. Hold on one second, man. I need to put my shit on. People just be blowing me up, man. Okay. Hold on one second. Let me put this on Do Not Disturb. I want to get to Ray Realms Super Chat. He says, Mike D and Coop, is Eric Sermon exaggerating when he says he brought hip-hop to Atlanta? He's one of the first guys to move down here that I've heard of and that I've known of, so I wouldn't totally discredit that. It just depends. He needs to clarify what he's saying when he's saying Right. Yeah. I would say yes, he's exaggerating. Yeah, I, I, I think just, that's going to have me on. Like, I would like some clarification when he's saying that because it's like, well, well, Short been coming down here for a while. Pac was down here. You know, like a lot of guys have been like sliding down here on the low. Well, the you thing know? is, it's like, okay, again. Ray, that's, Ray's coming down here. That's how Ray ends up on a Clement High. You hear two chains talking about it. It's like, yeah, I used to sell weed to Ray Coyle or Ray used to come down here. So it's yeah, like, man, oh, him and um, I think him and Big Boy ran into each other at Lennox Mall at the shoes, uh, at one of those shoe stores or whatnot. And it was like, yo, man, let's. We recording the album. Let's go collaborate real quick. And it happened. 
Um, I think too, I mean, it's kind of an East Coast thing once again. Like, obviously, we know hip hop started in New York, and we're forever grateful for what happened in the Bronx and the surrounding areas in New York City. But I think to say you brought hip hop to Atlanta is kind of saying, okay, well, New York hip hop is real hip hop, and I brought that to Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, Atlanta was doing hip hop in the 80s. It was happening. Uh, LP with the super chat says, Godson across the belly. Dudes got tats because of pop. Interesting. Mad Max says, uh, Pac, Rakim, LL are the most influential. Rakim changed the schemes. Um, gave y'all the blueprint. Pac is the image. People picture. Uh, also, the guys like Yay because he made guys like Cole, Kendrick, Drake. Cool. Uh, for their run. Yeah, I mean, he made it cool to just be yourself. I mean, I think that's the impact of Kanye West. Now, as far as pop, I think everything you said is, like, totally on point. I think Pac was kind of a mixture of... This is how I put it. You got Chuck D, right? And I think that Ice Cube is kind of like the younger, updated version of Chuck D at that time, right? Pac could do... He could be Chuck D... Q, LL, and Scarface, all in one person. I mean... Those would be... I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, actually, Mike. Those would be the four people that I think he probably pulled from that he heard. I mean, there's even talks, like, you know, about... Uh, I think in one of his uh, biops, about how he was talking about the time that he rhymed for Chuck D backstage, and he was like, Chuck D told me I had flows, and that like meant something to Pop that, that Chuck said that. So yeah. when you listen to his social commentary... He wrote I letters mean, to Chuck D. You know. I mean, it's straight... I mean, his social commentary is is, is Chuck D meets Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nas the Goat says, I would say future for the 2010s. I'm not mad at that either. Y'all know how I feel about future. You, you could say that. But I mean, he's not gonna make. You know, that's what I'm saying. You can't like Future's not gonna make the. It's not gonna make the final round against Tupac. This is the case that I would make for Wayne, right? No, he's talking about for the 2010s. This is the case that I would make for Wayne. Wayne directly gave us Drake and Nicki, right? That's just direct. And then outside of that, when you talk about the way these guys are out here looking, the way people are approaching rap music. That is all derivative of Wayne, man. I mean, it's kind of like when you look at Allen Iverson and the way he brought tattoos to the NBA. Oh, Mike, that's great. The Allen Iverson context is great because as much as I love AI personally, it's like, well, we'll rank them all time. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you rank them all time, he's really more like 20 to 25. And that's probably like where I probably would have Wayne as an MC. But it's like, oh, talk about impact. It's like, I don't know, third, fourth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, again, you know, even when, you know, regardless of how people feel about them, like even when you look at the Kodak Blacks and you look at the Young Thugs. and Oh, all these guys. These guys guys. come from the tree of Wayne. Everybody come out of the South Coast 2010, about 85% of them. Yeah. LP with the Super Chat says... uh, Dance is a true favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Who said dance? Uh, who is he trying to say? Maybe Pac. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Pac is everybody's favorite rapper. And again, I was one of those people who was more into Biggie when both of them were alive. But I think when it comes down to 
the music aging well and you going back to it at later parts of your life, like those Tupac records still hit deep. That, so, so how about this? So when people talk about Kendrick, it's like these Kendrick records that are talking about these things that Pac and Nas and Kanye and other people have covered before, it's not staying with you like the Pac records. We're still talking about so many tears and Dear Mama and Brenda's Got a Baby and Keep Your Head Up. Like, we're still talking about these records. You, like, um, That's the problem, man. That's the problem. When it comes to Kendrick's all-time rating, per se, hey, he has all there's no, I ain't mad at you on Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Don't tell me that. There's not. There's not a how do you want it. There's not a no more pain. There's not ambitions of a rider. There's no picture of me rolling. Like, and that's not the, and that's not to put him just like directly up against Pac, but it's like, understand the gravity of these records that Pac is making. Pac is being thought provoking, insightful, controversial, riding the beat, making you sing along. Great hook writing. If not, it's hook writing. It's hook singing from his writing. Like he, he's everything. And it's like so when you're telling me Kendrick's album is great, it's like no, I'm like that's great writing. If you want to hear like what the whole package sounds like, go look, go listen to All Eyes on Me. The Carlos says that Gucci is high on that influence influence list too. Yes, he is. Gucci got a lot of kids out there. Yeah, yeah, we'll put him. He'd be top fifteen influence. Oh, LP said he met Scarface. Yeah, Scarface is your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, Gucci is uh, very high on that. I think that, uh, and not to mention the fact that he directly influenced artists, but he put artists on too. I remember one of the uh, first interviews I did for According to Hip Hop, it was with an up-and-coming MC uh, out of Queens, Queens, New York. And I asked him, you know, this is why I was kind of early on in this thing. So I was asking a bunch of generic questions. And I asked him, like, who are your influences? And he was like, Gucci, man. Number one influence. I'm like, whoa, how did that happen? And, I mean, it's real. Like, Gucci Mane's reach was ever-reaching. And, again, I mean, Nicki Minaj got some of her first starts with Gucci also. Um, I was going to say something uh, in regards to what you were talking about with Pac and Kendrick. Okay, this is what I was going to say. Is it fair to say, and I've heard people say this, what do you think about this statement? Is Kendrick Lamar the black Eminem? How is that being said? Is that being When it said? comes to talking about how well he writes, but the song's not really getting the play that some of your all-time greats get in hip-hop. Yes. Because here's what I was about to say. You know what I put on the other day, too? It actually just came on randomly. You know 4016 building? Mm-hmm. The second verse to that song is expressing a lot of the themes that are Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. But guess what? He's in and out with those thoughts, Mike, so that the record could be entertaining for you. Pac, that's that Pac influence. That's that influence that Pac has on Nas. It's like, no, no, no. When you're kicking that knowledge, you got to be in and out with it and keep the people entertained. That's how we take my quotes. I'm here to give hope. Start a company from one of my phrases. Mm. See how see how deep that is, but how simply put that is. That's that Pac influence on Nas. But that's part of what makes 4016 such a tour de force. No, he's kicking knowledge on there. He's also beating the mic up like it's nobody's business. He's also switching his flow up. He's doing so many other things. And so when you go to Kendrick and you're like, do you hear what he's writing about and how in-depth it is? 
it's like, yeah, did you just hear Nas do that and do about seven other things too and do it in one verse? Which is what Tupac's catalog looks like. Right. <laughs> LP with the super chat says Three Six Mafia's flow and production is super influential. Yes, it is. Don't get me started on those guys. Okay, so I would put Three Six ahead of Gucci in terms of influence. They've been around longer, and I hear DJ Paul everywhere. I yeah, I hear the production style and flow wise in many ways. Honestly, let's just keep it real. And I think Gucci said this before Gucci too. Flow comes from Three Six. It does. Project Pat specifically. About? He says Project Pat was one of his favorite rappers. And I can hear I it. I thought he was. He got the same flow. Yeah. Uh, Nas the Goat says, where is Nas on y'all's influence list? That's a good question. I mean, that's a fascinating question just because he's inspired so many people. But it's like I've said, and I even said in the track, well, he, he comes from Rock M and G Ratch Tree. That's what's so beautiful about hip hop is it keeps extending itself. Because if you hear like somebody like Kanye tell you, would be like, well, I really come from the tree of Nas more than I come from like J-Tree. You get what I'm saying? And Let so, me ask you this, though. I mean, because my answer is going to be J between the two, but yours might be different. Is Nas more influential than J? No. Yeah, I think I Jay's think. more influential. Right. But how about this? Yeah. How about this? Nas is following more like Rakim is. It's like, well, if you start getting into that nuance about the craft of MC and it's like, well, Nas is responsible for like Kanye. And Lupe and guys like that, and Eminem. Is Nas and, responsible for Kanye? I mean, according to Kanye. Well, he said it's his favorite rapper. I feel like, right, kind of like what Kanye said, um, you know, on um, College Dropout. The dude's from Chi-Town. I, love I think he's a he's a direct product of a tribe called Quest. In my personal opinion, who Kanye? Yeah. Nah, he's something different than me. He, I mean, he's an ele- elevated version in many ways, but the basis and foundation of Kanye West is very Q-tip-ish when it comes to producer-rapper, you know, because I think no, he was no. private to the knowledge that Q-tip produced these no, I albums. mean, okay, so he's... Yeah, he's no, okay, so I've always said, like, Nas is where the backpacker and the baller meet. That's Kanye. That's what I'm saying. I got you. I tried, like, because 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 Kanye got like that baller in part. Yeah, part you're right. Like, like the flossy just, side. Nas, just, just like Nas got Esco. That's what I mean. That's Nas. That's not Tribe. Tribe don't have that flossy side. I like, see what you mean. Like, like Tribe ain't gonna make a re- no. Tribe's not even gonna name a record Diamonds from Sierra Leone and it not be a song about the plight of the kids. Be- you know what I'm saying? Right. He's not gonna talk right. He's not gonna do it the way he did. So you're talking more so perspective and I mean to be, you know, perfectly honest, being conflicted with material and spiritual. Yeah. Uh, what, Carlo- what, 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 talking on we major. First line and I don't know what I should write. Should it be about the hoes of the ice? Four foes of black Christ. Four foes would be nice. No, that's that's where Kanye get that shit from. And then Kanye is like feeling better than ahead on a sunny afternoon. Better than the chick say yes too soon. Tell you had a daughter. That's what I call karma. You pray to God she'll grow breasts too soon. Classic. Classic. But where is he getting that from? Yeah. That's not from conflicted. Jay. That's yeah. Not from that's not from tribe. That's not from Jay. That's some nice shit. Now you're right. Uh, the Carlo with the super chat says Gucci had the streets for a long time, though. He did. He did. And still does to a certain degree. No, no, no. You want to talk about this is what I'm saying. Well, you can't put that ahead about ahead of 3-6. You know who still got the streets even past Gucci? 3-6. Like, like right now. 
Like right now. Like who I mean, yeah, I mean, like, even if we listen to like Isaiah Rashad, you listen to most of the stuff the Metro makes. Or if Metro and Twenty One makes so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, even we'll knife talk, you know what I'm saying? Savage Drake mode. shit. Right? I, was, I was about to say Savage Mode too. It's a straight three six playoff. Uh, LP with the super chat says three six was real dirty south gold teeth dreadheads not listening to nothing from New York dude LOL in in three six inspired Lil John too yes Um, a lot of cats I grew up with love three six and hated woo you know what I'm gonna be honest and you know I'm working on a few things I don't talk about it yet but me and my best friend growing up, we were real, real big 3-6 fans. While everybody was on the whole uh, cash money, no limit train, all we were listening to was like 3-6 stuff from like Killer Clan, Kazi, uh, the Prophet Posse album, World Domination, the end. I could go on and on. And uh, it's so crazy to both of us now that those songs that we used to listen to seemingly 25 years ago, we're hearing again, like they're literally like the parliament funkadelic of hip hop, where it's like when it was going on, they had a niche market, but 20 years later, all the young kids are recycling what they were doing with love, of course, but created a market. It's amazing. And, and it, it, it just shows you how well their stuff aged. Like no, you they, can hear that stuff from literally 20 something years ago. And be like, yo, this could go now. Like, I was listening to, like, uh, Project Pat's first mixtape in 94. And uh, what's the name of that one song, man? This Ain't No Game, nigga. Um, uh, Yeah, This Ain't No Game featuring um, uh, SOG. I was listening to that. I was like, man, this shit could go now. (laughs) This song is literally 28 years old. Hold on. You want to know what they did? They were doing... I mean, and I'm and I'm not saying this in, in in a shady way. They were doing simplistic, repetitive, easy to understand, but get your point across themes over heavy, hard hitting beats mm-hmm. at a time where being super lyrical and showing your vernacular and your skill on the mic was the thing. And so they got shunned initially because of that. No, I admit I was one of the people that shunned him. Like, like, like six had to force feed me three six mafia before I got it. It probably wasn't until around the time that sipping on some scissor was dropping that I, it, I, it finally like started sticking with me. And so you I, know I, what? I, and around that time, it's funny. Around that time for me and my boy Melvin, it was like, no, man, no, they're not the now. same no more. They done right. sold out. <laughs> No, I heard that. That's how Six felt. He was like, oh, he's like, now you like these niggas. I'm tired of these uh, Yeah, I was like, yeah, their glory days are gone. Because even, even when I see on the court in the hip-hop, a lot of people gravitate to 6661, which was when the smoke clears. I'm yeah. like, I didn't, I like that album the least because they were losing the group. Coopster wasn't really on songs like that. And you could tell Gangsta Woo was on her way out. And they were featuring people they normally wouldn't feature. It just didn't feel... The same. No. But, you when know, I, that's growth. When I went back, I noticed those same uh, nuances and those things that you're talking about. But at the time, you have to understand, all those things that they did, it took all of that to get me to that point. So when they dropped Sipping on Some Scissor, I was like, oh, okay. And then I was able to go back and be like, oh, okay. And not to mention, the big factor for me, Lord Infamous's style completely changed. And not for the better. He I had an underground flow and he had a mainstream flow and I wasn't a fan of the mainstream flow. 
And he's kind of one of the people that brought me into listening to 3-6. Uh, Ryan Gillen with the Super Chat says, Lupe is like a mixture of Nas, J, and ASAP Rock. I never really got an ASAP Rock like that. I know y'all love him. And a lot of people like say he's the most lyrical ever. Uh, Godfather with the Super Chat says, no one, uh, no one rap. He don't. Uh, no one raps who don't influence Nas. I guess no one raps that wasn't influenced by Nas. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, Ray Reynolds with the super chat says, um, "I had Three Six Mafia losing to only two songs in their verses against Bone, twenty two to two. Um, LP says Getty Green can come out Friday and be current. That's real." Especially um, uh, Mr. Don't Play, man. Um, okay, speaking of verses, because somebody brought up a verses. You ready to get to that? What, 8-Ball and JG? Yes. MGK? More Prophecy? Versus has more prophecy, right? Versus has announced that tomorrow, shit, that, that's quick, man. Tomorrow we're getting the 8-Ball, MJG, and UGK Versus. Now this is something that date back dates back, excuse me, two years. I was telling Coop. Well, actually, I was telling you guys last week. I brought up this whole Bumby going to Swiss and Timberland asking for eight ball MJG and UGK versus. But anyway, I pulled up that article from two years ago. This is uh, on Revolt actually. Bun advocates for UGK to face off against eight ball MJG in a versus. This is from May 27th, 2020, almost two years to the day. Said Bumby is advocating for UGK to be the next contender in a versus battle against 8-Ball and MJG. Um, Bumby goes to Instagram to call the fans to make the battle happen. Okay, and I think this is where we kind of went with it too. Why does he even have to do that? Uh, I guess because publishing and stuff. Okay, whatever. Y'all can go to our previous episodes and Hear my little rant on that. Anyway, <laughs> Bun wrote, Swiss and Tim are open to have us on Versus, y'all. He wrote, they just want to see that the people want it. So tag them in my comments and then post a pic uh, to my page and story and tag them. Let's get the word out. Hold up. Bun B shouldn't have to campaign to Swiss and Tim to get in the room, well, at the time it wasn't even a room, to get on an Instagram live with 8-Ball and MJG and play their music. Why? Or people who are supposedly doing it for the culture. Oh, no, no. Why are they able to be the gatekeepers in that way? You know what I'm saying? That's my thing. No, no, no. If you're doing it for our culture, how is it that it took you two years to give us... I mean, Mike, I mean, you could argue these are two of the three most influential Southern rap groups ever, along with Three Six. Like, this is actually where everybody gets their sounds from down here, is those three groups. Correct me if I'm wrong. Some people feel like Ghetto Boys should be included in there. People haven't run with Ghetto Boys sound as much because the Ghetto Boys sound is, you know, Scarface, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of taking that. So in terms of influence... Uh, what you have down here, at least in our southern region of America, is UGK, 
Eight Ball and MJG and Three Six Mafia. Well, Outcast is the culmination of those three groups, specifically in terms of their ascension into the mainstream. And so, if you understand these things and you're doing it from the culture, and one half of UGK and the only living half of UGK was vying for this two years ago, I want them to explain again how they're doing this for the culture and not doing it for profit. This is the problem that I have with this sentence. Bun said, Swiss and Tim are open to have us. They just want to see that people want it. Do you, ha- you have to sell this to them? Sounds you got so, so you came to them with this and so Swiss, because Tim will not be saying nothing, right? Swiss comes to him like, yo, show me the analytics, King. Man, get out of here, man. Mad Max with the Super Chat says, Nas, slash, uh, Nas is greater than Hove on influence. Excuse me. Nas had uh, guys getting the level, blade cut. Nas had guys putting the baby pics on their album. Nas started the um, the uh, rap when uh, when I was 12 and the hello smacking, the Jesus blasphemy line, but still. No, you're right. I mean, Nas did a lot of that. No, that's not to say that Nas's influence isn't heavy, but how about this? When you look at how a lot of people have patternized themselves as rappers mm-hmm. in modern times, they've patternized themselves lifestyle-wise and Jay. business-wise after Jay. They may patternize themselves after Nas musically, but Jay would probably, if you were to put it down, he would take two of the three. So you could say that these artists patternize themselves more around Nas musically, but in terms of lifestyle and business, they patternize themselves more around Jay. And you know what? I'm going to throw a monkey wrench out there. I think Lil' Kim is one of the most influential hip-hop artists ever, too. And I think that sometimes, you know, because people have their opinions about whether her impact was negative or positive, Sometimes people who don't have like the quote unquote super positive impact, we disregard. We can't disregard the impact that Lil Kim has. Like you see, you see Cardi, you see Lil Kim and Cardi B, all the way to Sweetie to anybody you can think of. You um, you struck a chord right there because I immediately thought when you said that my initial reaction was that you could actually make a viable case. Just on the way she's influenced the women and the way women are viewed for better or worse in this genre, that supersedes Nas and Jay. I can say she's more influential than Jay. I can say that. Uh, no, I mean, you, can say, su- you can say both and it'd be a viable conversation, though, because she, more than any other female that has stepped into the sphere of hip-hop, has changed things, Mike. From and it hasn't female. gone back. It, no, no, oh no, no, no. There's you can no you can look at you no, can look on. at hip hop before Kim and look at hip hop after hold Kim. On, hold on, it ain't the it same. Just hold on, it just got back like to that light Latifah, Moni Love like type yeah. days, like literally, like maybe this year with Che and like, like Love and Rap City, like all like being, you know what I'm saying? And so it's taking some time, and even with that, you still got Lotto. Sweetie, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like, no, Kim's, Kim is in the building and not going anywhere like ever. So it's a forever impression. Yeah. Nick, that's why for people that feel like Nikki is so influential, it's like. No, that, how, that goes to Kim. Everything that, that Nikki's Kim. done, Kim did it before. Yeah. And, 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 and I, see, record sales can be funny in terms of like the relationship for how it is. Like in 1988, when Peyton Full was selling like, you know, 800,000 units, 
Oh no, that's like selling three, four, five million albums. Then no, Kim did units too. Notorious Kim did units. No, I'm I'm just I'm just speaking about when people speak yeah. about the uh, units that Nicki has moved. It's like you got to move it in relationship too. It's like hardcore went platinum. Notorious Kim, you're right. It's not mistaken. Notorious Kim did like three or four, didn't it? And that's a physical era. No, no, no. Notorious Kim did more than that. I'll look it up in a second. I don't know if she did more than four. I don't Nigga. think so. That I looked, I looked it up recently and I was like, damn, I didn't know she did all that. Uh, top of that with the Super Chat says, um, out there, Project Pat is a classic. Y'all uh, y'all think lean culture had the most influence on the sound of the South. Yeah. Um, are you looking up uh, Notorious K.M.? Yeah, 229,000 copies this first week. Okay. Ray Rims with the Super Chat says, uh, did you guys watch the actual live on Versus YouTube? Swiss and Tim heard the outcry about how the last Versus was handled. However, they kind of blamed the fans. I would imagine. I didn't see that, actually. I mean, you know what? And I, was, and I say this respectfully. People aren't really following Versus like that anymore. And, you know, following, like, the post games and all that. And I do believe, and clearly, this A-Ball and MJG was a quick pickup from the backlash that happened with Onyx and, and, um, and Cypress Hill. But see, the thing is, how long have you held these people at bay and you want to play this card now when people are displeased? You told Bun B to go get the analytics, basically. This is what they told Bun B. They told Bun B to go get the UGK 8-Ball and MJG analytics. Really? You know what I'm saying? And then and then once everybody complains about this, and we've had shows about this, and clearly everybody wants 8-Ball and MJG and UGK, or that will be a viable one that hasn't been done, you want to sit there and spring it upon people Thursday. Okay, so let's just say this shit doesn't fly tomorrow. They're going to blame it on the fact that, oh, we didn't have enough time. You know what I'm saying? It's janky promotion shit, really. And, and I say that, just I'm just being honest as a fan. It's janky promotion shit because when they do these verses, they let people know two, three weeks out ahead of time. Sometimes a month ahead of time. And with A-Ball and MJG, y'all didn't have this on the schedule. Y'all didn't have this on the schedule at all. And if you did have it on the schedule, you bumped it up. Because people ain't fucking with the way that y'all doing shit right now. Well, let's address it. Told like, them to go get analytics, man. Come on. That's crazy to me. And to, you got Bun B out here telling fans to tag uh, Swiss and Timberland in a fucking post to prove that people want to see an 8-Ball MJG and UGK versus. Man, that's crazy. That's disrespectful to the South, to be perfectly honest. That again, that's that East Coast shit I'm talking about. Uh, thank you for the segue. So I believe what we have going on here is a few things. I want to make sure that you're finished because I understand I'm that you're I'm frustrated sorry. and rightfully so. So let's unpack a few Nuts. things. The first thing is is that no, I believe our influence here on the court of the hip hop is being felt. Because you have been referencing this and calling for this. And I don't know what's going on in the water. It appears like for the last nine to ten months or so, when we be asking for shit, it start magically happening. Because I guess we're kind of being known for applying pressure. And that's all well and good. But it really appears to be some more East Coast bias going on 
like, oh, we're catching heat. Let's blame the fans and let's give the fans who are complaining some of what they want and slap it together right quick. Well, what can we And if it doesn't together? work, they could blame the fans. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Ray already kind of spoke to the fact that that's what they're doing, which is like a super weak move. It's very crass. It's disrespectful for how uh, poorly this has been handled communication-wise, operations-wise, business-wise, keeping hip-hop culture viable and alive-wise, and just helping your fellow uh, uh, brother or sister, and, and I say that in a color and colorful sense type of way. Like, these guys are really starting to come off like some busters. And I say that respectfully, and I'm trying to be as respectful as I can about it, because it's like, I don't like the fact that a legend like Bun B got to ask Timbaland and Swiss for shit. Timbaland and Swiss ain't produced no hip-hop classics, as far as album makers are concerned. I want to say this, um, too, while it's no, on my mind. No, no if, if they are gatekeepers, I'm sorry for cutting you off. If no, they no, are no. gatekeepers, they're not appropriate and proper gatekeepers. You ain't released no game. Where's Swiss classic rap album at? Where's Timbaland classic rap album at? Who gave them access to the culture like that? I'd be much more comfortable handing this shit off like Supreme. You know what I'm saying? Um, this is the thing too, man. Um, and and, or, and often uh, professor or Q-tip. <laughs> like I can name, I can literally name twenty hip hop producers that I would hand the torch bearing and responsibility for keeping these things aligned. It's hip-hop producers and torchbearers or gatekeepers or whatever convoluted name you want to come up for is. I would I can think of literally 20 producers that deserve this. But see, why that. does there have to be a gatekeeper? We're talking yeah. about people. You know what I'm saying? Like, if anything, people should have the license to go out there and do these matchups on their own. There's no reason that Bumby and A-Ball and MJG shouldn't be able to go out there and do this on their own, especially during the time when people were, you know, just doing this on IG. But that's a whole nother conversation. What I was going to say, Timbaland does have one hip-hop classic song, right? And guess who's on it? Bun B's on Big Pimpin', isn't he? No, he's got Fat Rabbit, too. With no, I'm just saying. Bun B's on Big Pimpin'. Big Pimpin' did a lot for Timbaland, correct? It did a lot for both. Of them. It did a lot for everybody involved. Bun B oh. should be able to reach out to Timbaland straight up on GP and say, I let's get this saying. done. If if he's the person that you have to go through or for whatever reason, it's not like no, there's I no relationship there. You asking random fans to go out there and tag these guys in an Instagram post to prove that you got fans? What? I'm so disappointed in these guys, like on a level. It's like, it's hard to be nice to them or even like listen to their shit, like on the same level. Cause it's like, you guys like look so corny right now, like on like on, like on, on, on like on some real hip hop head, like loving the culture. Cause like I haven't heard Swiss say out of his mouth too much the last two years that he's doing this for the culture. Like I've heard that too much from him. That's, you know a, what I'm saying? that's a Jigga man selling point. Sell it's the culture, like, right? Sell people on the notion of the culture. What you know? What are we talking about? LP with the super chat says, "Blame Timbo for not speaking up." Hmm? Yeah, I think uh, that's fair. It's not. No, no, no. We don't get to slide it either way because Timbo's the better producer. It's like, no, you're both wrong. But then I think about it. It's like, how did you all end up being the gatekeepers of this anyway? Think about this. They're the gatekeepers to records. They didn't actually produce. It's like when DMX they had nothing to do with. 
Like, like, right. Most of the records that are being played, how many? How about this? How many Swiss beat or Timbaland records from these hip hop artists have been played in these verses? No, for real. Uh, Ray no. Rose of the Super Chat says they claim we want IG Live, so we'll get it. That's what they said. See, I, I, I'm gonna get to that in a second. But don't complain about the lagging in quality. Then they said they were gonna bring uh, the Titans out. So the reason they didn't do the, the reason they didn't do IG Live for Cypress Hill and Onyx is because of the lagging in quality. When have the fans said, "Yo, man, stop doing the IG Live and do it on Trilla alone"? And honestly, if that's the case. Y'all should have ran this through Cypress Hill and Onyx too, because obviously that's not what they agreed upon because they had a problem with it. And don't sit there and blame the fans for that. Hold on, you want to know what too? And if you all have been chosen to market and promote this hip hop product, I'm going to bring up somebody that I'm not a fan of, but he's somebody who delivers what you want to see. And that's Don King in boxing. <laughs> a lot of people don't like Don King. Yeah. I don't like Don King either. But didn't Don King always give you the fights that you want to see? If you guys are real gatekeepers, why haven't y'all really delivered what we want to see? It's like, if you guys got it like that, why can't y'all make Jay and Nas happen? Why did y'all they can't. put in, Hold on, why did y'all put Kane and KRS together instead of separating them and making the appropriate lineups? You get what I'm saying? It's because you couldn't. You want to know why they couldn't? Because here's, and, and listen to what I'm about to say, and I'm about to say this very carefully, very respectfully. They're involved in this hip-hop culture, but they're not immersed in this hip-hop culture to garner the respect of the other guys to get them to move like that. You know who has that type of respect? Primo, Q-Tip, yeah. P-Rock. You get what I'm saying? No, you're you know, right. I'm and I would imagine if Primo... Like, if... Guys don't, no, no, no. These guys don't have the type of hip-hop cred to move these artists outside of maybe Timbaland with Jay just about the amount of heat that Tim has given Jay that's viable hits. Outside of that... These guys don't have the pulse on it enough to move these guys. You couldn't get like you couldn't get these rap artists to do what Q-Tip could get them to do. And that's why you guys were poor choices to be gatekeepers or whatever. About to make me curse, trying to stop cursing. To be gatekeepers of this mm-hmm. culture. So it was just poor decision making. But if you look at it from the powers that be, it was actually the appropriate decision making. Because this is what I'm saying. We have two people who are producers that attach to our culture that really aren't known for producing hip-hop classic albums in our culture. That's real. And I would imagine, and like you said, to piggyback off of what you said, if Premier and, let's just say, Q-Tip were the guys running this, I think we would have been able to get the Rod Kim and Kane. Yeah, I think we would have been able to get the KRS and LL. Right, right. Because it's not, let's just be real, it's not young guys doing this anyway. You know what I mean? Like, this is legends. Swiss asking Nas to do a versus is way different than Q-Tip or Cream asking. It is. It you is. Tell me that's the same thing. Don't lie to me and tell me that's the same shit. Mad Max says, Swiss think because uh, he's shacking up with Alicia Keys and because he gave X them crazy beats on the first album, he can be uh, some condescending goat making, L- making NY look bad. He didn't make a lot on It's Dark and Hell is Hot. He made two tracks. Did he make, make two tracks? I think he just made one. I thought it was two. Mm-mm. I know he did a lot more on Flesh of My Flesh. Yeah, and Flesh of My Flesh is not as dark and hell as hot. He only did Rough Riders Anthem on as dark and hell as hot. Nothing is it's dark and hell as hot. Um, let's see. Uh, it was another super chat I want to get to, and I do want to keep going with this because I think this is wild. Um, <laughs> LP says, 
Because he's from the South, Coop. If Swiss don't know Tim, uh, I'm sorry, if Swiss don't know, Tim should be letting them know. But then again, Tim never really hooked up with Southern artists. No, he hasn't. Hold on, who are you talking about? Because who's from the South? They're no, he was talking about, um, you know, when he said blame Tim for being silent. And I do get that. And this is the thing. In this partnership, you know, Tim is the one that's quote unquote from the South because Virginia is technically the South, right? No, no, no. I mean, hold on. Swiss is the NY outside. guy. And so no, no, no. really, if, if there's anybody there in that partnership that should be advocating for the South, it should be Tim Lentz. I do get where oh, he's no, coming no, no, from no. on that. Let's back up. No, 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 let's back up. You know Swiss went to high school down here, right? I know he did. He went to okay. Banneker for a couple years and went back up. No, no, no. He, yeah, he went to high school with my homies, like, from the east side. Like, he went yeah. to Banneker, right? No. Like, he went he, to, uh, no, no, he went to school with Lala. But what I'm saying is, is he was down here. I want to be accurate. But what does oh, that mean? Sure. Was he down? Was he down here to be down here and engulf himself here, or was he down here to get uh, some game and go back up? High school on the east side with some of my homies. No, I think you're right. Um, yeah, he went to high school on the east side. But I'm saying, was he down here for the purpose of giving back to Atlanta, and has he actually given back to Atlanta throughout his illustrious career? So, what does him actually coming to high school down here really mean in the grand scheme of things? Is what I'm I saying. Mean, he just knows how it works down here. Is what I'm saying. He was down here. I know. I got homies of mine that like went to high school with him that like talk about him like trying to do the music shit even then. So, but like, he, so with that being said, though, cool. I just ain't handing out no pass. It's like, oh no, he's from the East Coast. It's like, no, nah, that nigga was down here. No, okay. <laughs> so yeah, he went to Stone Mountain High School. Yeah. There, so um, because Mike, you know, I spent part of my childhood in Lafonia, and so I went to Rock Chapel and I went to Redan. But I moved to Charlotte for like uh, for the for high school. But a lot of cats that I went to middle school and elementary school with ended up going to high school with him because it's like that was in kind of the district how people got moved and section off. I had just moved away. So, so you're like, you're I just not giving him that pass that he didn't know any better, or right, he doesn't know saying, about the impact of he, eight ball and JG and UGK. Because he's only a couple years older than us. So these are my older homies that I was older than me in elementary and middle school that ended up going to high school with him. It's like, no, nah, you know what the scene looked like down here, fam? Like, you older, like, you went to school with my jeans. Like, People yeah. say he got his sound from the South. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He was down here. That whole super fast, yeah, I mean, that's his play on the 808. He's just a New York dude at heart. Man, I don't even know if I want to read the rest of this this article, man. I, I'm so disturbed by the fact that he actually told Bum B to go get the analytics. Now, it doesn't say that he said that specifically here, but that's basically what it said. I mean, for people who just got in here, this is an article from two years ago when Bum B was going to Timberland and Swiss, um, I mean, pretty much asking them if they could do a versus on their platform with 8Ball and JG and UGK. And this is what he said in the post. He said, Swiss and Tim are open to have us on the verses, y'all. They want to see that the people want it. So tag them in my comments and then repost the pic to your page and your story and tag them again. Let's get the word out. You writing a letter to your senator? What the fuck are we doing, man? All right. Well... That versus is happening tomorrow, and um, mm -hmm. I'll be tuning in. I'm looking forward to it. 
just as a fan of the two. But honestly, man, after reading this, I'm not a fan of the people who are um, running the verses in the way that they're running it. I'm a fan of Timbaland as a producer. Never been a big Swiss Beats fan when it comes to production or whatever. But respect to him, he has a great career. But as far as what they're doing here and the blatant disrespect to the South, because we got some verses that nobody asked for. And you no, telling you know Bun B to about? sit here and 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 galvanize the troops? What the fuck are we doing? No, you can't tell me that they didn't hear what we said. And you did. Like, these dudes have egos. I know they heard what I said. I was like, no, 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 we taking that from them. Drop that in the bag. Like, like they acting like little girls right now. Like, like, like run that, run that quote back to whoever in there watching it from them dudes acting like some girls right now. Like these dudes be, these dudes be so soft sometimes. Like for real. The only reason they doing this is because they catching smoke because they ain't been doing it right. And now they want to sit up there and put, give us something like, like jumbled together product. Right. It's not properly marketed. They would not do this for an East Coast artist or a West Coast artist for that matter, because it wouldn't play well with the labels who really have them by the balls or by the puppet strings. Either way, they either got them cuffed low or they got them hanging high, Mike. Which way you want? Like I, the quote Tupac, how do you want it? They either got them cuffed low by the balls or they got them hanging high by their hands, got them dancing on a string. But either way you want to call it, these niggas is whack right now. That's you what know, the city of Houston, about. the city of Houston and the city of Memphis should be mad and they're having it in Atlanta, which doesn't make sense anyway. I mean, be, I love my city, like, but why are they doing like this here? Players ball. You understand this? Like they should be doing a players ball. Like it should be like a whole layout. Remember when like Dave Chappelle did like the players haters ball thing? Mm-hmm. Like there should be like a whole setup and parody or like layout. There should be stuff going on. And also too, it's like, are y'all giving Bun B ample time to get this together because Pimp's not here? Right. Yeah, they don't even have time to really put together the show like they want to. You know what I'm saying? Like even with not here. Yeah. Yeah, they whack for this. These dudes clowns. Run tell that this time. See, now, a part of me, a part of me doesn't want to support it. You know what I'm saying? Because the analytics would be there. But I know also if I don't support it, this is going to look bad for Bun and A-Ball and MJG. And they don't deserve that. So me watching this has nothing to do with supporting, quote unquote, the culture that uh, Swiss and Tim talk about or whatever they're talking about. But I do want to support the culture in a way where, you know, our veterans who deserve their just due are going to get their just due. But again, once again, the South is being disrespected and it's blatant disrespect. Cause you know what? And, and respect to, um, too short and E 40 and they had a great versus. They didn't ask them to go out there and galvanize people to see if this is what people want to see. Come on, man. They would never do that to the West coast or the East coast. They would only do that to Southern artists. Bruh. Okay. What else we got on the line up today? <laughs> I'm other than this before I really get pissed off. I'm other than this. These are the wackest. Okay. He's lame, Mike. They for real. No, no, no. They real live lame. You know what I'm saying? I could like get into some other stuff to like show how lame they are, but they lame. Like I don't care how many times Nas is rapping verbal and I don't care if my favorite rapper raps verbal intercourse next to you like fifty million times, you still a whack ass nigga. Next next subject. Um, somebody said the Swiss and Tim already got the bag. Yeah, that, that been happened. Um, yeah, been happened. That's obvious. They've been stopped caring. Whatever yeah. bag they secured has been secured. We can shit. It's showing in the lack of quality and the Damn. lack of care. 
and the lack of substance and the lack of everything. There's a lacking going <laughs> Oh, did you hear that um, Kendrick got a We Cry Together uh, video coming? Okay. That's great. <laughs> well, you you don't you're not anticipating the video. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to be more excited about it than I am about the song? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. okay. I, I guess what are we gonna expect in this video? Everything to play out like a play should. Honestly, the screenshot that I see, uh, and I'm gonna put it on the screen for the people. Yeah, this kind of does look like a play. I and the you. fact that the person that is actually on the song with him is actually an actress and not a rapper. So that kind of gives it away in that point, too. Um, I think we're probably going to get a video for that. <laughs> Somebody, Dumb It Down, said nobody cares. Oh, y'all are harsh. I'm going to tell y'all this, man. A lot of the songs that I gave high marks on this album, and I think I said it even when we did the breakdown, probably not going to listen to like that. Um, but the only song that I did li do listen to, excuse me, and I did give high marks to, Silent Hill. I like the song. And a lot of people don't even like Silent Hill like that. I like Silent Hill. It's getting mixed reviews, so... <clears throat> but when something is great, even if you don't know exactly what you're listening to, and understand everything that you're listening to, or if it's even too abstract or too deep, when the music is truly great and truly classic, you know, Mike, and I'm going to give you an example of uh, if you know, you know moment since it's Daytona's anniversary. That should be a segment, if you know, you know. Right. The ultimate if you know, you know moment for hip-hop fans is, is that I pulled up Pitchfork's review of Supreme Clientele this week. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Pitchfork gave Supreme Clientele when it came out? I don't know, man. <laughs> no, listen. Listen to this. Pitchfork gave Supreme Clientele a perfect rating. Oh. They gave Supreme Clientele a 10. Because when an album is truly a classic, when it's truly masterful, you don't even have to be within the genre or even know what you're doing to hear how brilliant or masterful it is. Pitchfork gave Supreme Clientele a 10. Half of us within this culture didn't know what the hell was Ghostface was talking about on Supreme Clientele when it came out, and we gave it a 10. But the people outside the culture recognize the same thing, too. Stop making these albums that are fives and sixes and sevens seems like tens. This is no Supreme Clientele going on where we're about to appreciate it more. No, when Supreme Clientele came out, it's like, I don't quite know everything that's going on, but I'm pretty certain it's the next shit. Ten. I think people are saying that, uh, you know, because there's some people here who are, who don't really love the album. And there's some people here saying, here comes the Kendrick hate. It's no Kendrick hate. We love Kendrick. I think Kendrick's a brilliant writer. But I think the issue with this album is, A, the replay value. And a lot of that is because of the fact that these thoughts and concepts, and Cooper said this over and over, haven't been put together in a palatable way. And you know what? That's fine. If you want to look at this as a piece of art on the shelf and whatever, but at the end of the day, we judge hip-hop music. We talk about hip-hop music. We have hip-hop conversations. And if these songs aren't going to get the replay value in the lexicon of its peers and other albums of other greats who've put out albums, then we have to acknowledge that as well. 
I mean, honestly, guys, what what songs are you guys playing on this album? We're like, what, three weeks in or what, maybe two and a half weeks in of this album's being released? What songs are y'all playing? I'm seeing people say N95. Okay, I see that. N95, I'm playing Silent Hill. but I'm not playing Auntie's Diaries. And I think it's a brilliant song. I'm not it playing is. it, though. You it's know? masterful. It's masterful. It is. It it's is. Beautiful. It's brilliant. It's masterful. I like Worldwide Steppers. I'm not playing that. Mike, Supreme Clientele came out 22 years ago. When you cut it on, doesn't it still excite you? Yeah. When Nutmeg come on, don't you get excited? Yeah, when one comes on, like, we at the weed gate waiting for Jake. We bought eight ravioli bags, two thirsty villains, bell and belly eggs, heavyweight rhyme riders. Whoo! Talking about big ghosts. You the only nigga I know, like, when the cops tell him you never hide your toes, nigga. Let's start a mad shit. CBL, <laughs> ice, water, metallic. See what he's talking about? He's talking about Cuban Link. He says, crazy. Links, ice, water, metallic. Like, stop that. You know, if you know, you know. Crash through, break the glass. I'm give you another example. When you hear common on the intro to B and then you hear the corner. Mike, come on. Yeah, yeah. The corner. People stop with this crazy talk. Okay, Savior. I hear people playing. I can see people playing Savior. The NBA is playing Savior. I see uh, Savior get played as a highlight. How can you have heard Supreme Clientele and B and say that this album is a classic? How can you hear Good Kid, Mad City, or Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy? I'm keeping everything 2000 and above now because people keep saying, I'm like, I'll keep on saying, get off my lawn. I'm going to make Supreme Clientele the barometer, even Pitchfork. People know how I feel about Pitchfork. Even Pitchfork realized that Supreme Clientele was a 10. Count Me Out has a replay value, people are saying. Uh, Crown. I like Crown. Yeah. Now, I can't please everybody on repeat thing. I think people can relate to that. Leroy yeah. Green says uh, B is better than Supreme Clientele. Well, I got one for you, Leroy Green. And I truly uh-huh. believe this, and I'm not just saying this. B and Supreme Clientele are better than the Blueprint. That's yep. the truth. How about that? Uh, because about honestly, the- there's no Ola Ovito on, on those albums. Hold huh? on, let's go. Let, let, let's go to some 2000 classics. How about this? B, Supreme Clientele, the Blueprint, Get Rich or Die Trying. <laughs> All Supreme to this shit. I, yeah, hold on, for whatever I not even a question. Hold on, hold on. For whatever I feel about 50, I listen to Get Rich or Die Trying before I listen to any Kendrick album not named Good Kid, Mad City. Put that down, too. I'm listening to that before. um, No, I listen to Get Rich or Die Trying, too. I'm not going to back up on my sentiments, but I still feel like it's a super abbreviated catalog that's mostly centered around Get Rich or Die Trying. But as far as what it's centered around, oh, no, that shit is as tour de force and as good as a rap album you'll find in the 2000s. As a matter of fact, the only albums that I think are succinctly better in the 2000s are being Supreme Clientele. Leroy, I got to be real with you. And I think I said this during the last broadcast. How do I say this? And I say this respectfully. You know what? I'm just going to say it. The Jay-Z retirement was Jay-Z ducking the 50 wave. Get Rich or Die Trying came. Jay was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and retire real quick. And that cooled off a little bit. Boom, came right back. Mad Max with the Super Chat says, man, that album was a dud. I actually like We Cry Together when I first heard it. I'm not bumping it like that, though. It's two people shouting, 
Kendrick dropping a dud, carrying on, carry on, Kendrick Perkins voice. <laughs> Nas the Goat says, uh, Shay Noir food for thought. I'm still bumping that. Me too. I'm bumping the Shay too. Uh, Ryan Gillum says, I played Kendrick's album for a week and went right back to Vince Staples' album. Ramona Park broke my heart. Ramona Park is dope. You shouldn't, you shouldn't feel forced. To listen to a rap album because the rapper is great and the songwriting ability is high. You have to want to listen to it. You have to enjoy listening to it. And that's where 50 wins in spades on Get Richard Die Trying and even Pieces of the Massacre. It's like, oh, is he Nas or Jay on the mic? Well, he's never been that. Can't be that on his best day. But do we know how to write a song or make a song? Yeah. What so do you think of my theory? I don't mean to interrupt you, man. What do you think of my theory that um, Jay-Z's retirement was to avoid the onslaught of the numbers that uh, he saw 50 was about to do? I don't think it I don't think it was just about the 50 thing. I think it was about the fact that he wasn't prepared to go through a phase of him not being the thing, because also, too. Well, that's that's a direct reflection of how big 50 was. Well, no, no, no. I was actually about to say, I think that had more to do with Gay clicking on his heels and him looking across the hallway at 50. It can feel like the wall's closing. And it's like, well, the dude that was making beats for me is closing in for me. The dude that was talking about me coming for me. No, I still, no. And so well, like- well, 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 hold on. I'm going to stop you because chronologically, College Dropout didn't drop until like February of 04. He had already announced his retirement for the Black Album November of 03. You're right, though. He was pushing back, or him and his staff were pushing Ye's album back further and further and further until don't Ye started me. putting out his own stuff. Mike, don't tell me somebody as thirsty as him wasn't listening to Spaceship and Jesus Walks and All Falls Down in two words. Jay's ahead and get him high. Jay's ahead. Yeah. Jay seen what was coming. Jay's ahead. Jay, and here's what Jay realized, too, and here's probably why he fell back, and it's probably more about Gay. He realized by catching the state property Philly wave, he missed Gay's wave. And by the time he wanted to catch it, it was too late. And that's what Watch the Throne and all that is about. He had to wait for Ye to come around and want to catch a wave with him because Ye and 50 and Wayne shifted this game somewhere else after the whole Nas and Jay thing because even towards the end, what was keeping Nas and Jay viable? And DMX, because we only talk about numbers and people who were shifting shit. Yeah. DMX. X had been shifted. X had been shifted. This is after X had already shifted. Okay, you're talking about after. Okay. This is, as a matter of fact, this is when X is actually starting to lose steam is when 50 and Kanye's ascension is actually when X is losing steam because that's, and then there was X, which has some stuff. It's just not hitting you like the first two. It yeah. coincides right along with, with 50 and Kanye. So that's just Jay reading his cards right. And here's what really happened. He didn't want to go back to that guy in 96 and 97 that had to play the background to Big into Nas, into Pop. Well, he numerically... Like he, left, he left the No Way Out tour because he couldn't deal with that. No, you're right. Uh, LP with the Super Chat says, most of those streams was people trying to like it. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's true. That's why I'm saying you shouldn't have to force yourself to try to listen to something over and over again yeah. to see if you like it because you know the artist is great. That's not how it goes. That's why it's like when people talk about like Streets Disciple and the Untitled album, it's like, okay, that's Nas dropping as much knowledge as you'll ever find. Put them albums somewhere in the middle. 
Because what? the dude that's on it was written in Illmatic and Stillmatic and God's Son and Magic and King's Disease too. No, he's a superior rapper and he's not dropping as much knowledge because when you want to drop knowledge, until you can show me how to make it takes a nation of millions to hold us back consistently or America's most, you get what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. not about the play. Like it's hard to do. Yeah, it's it is hard to do. Understand how hard it is to be on that level of songwriting and for people to want to listen to it. Ryan Gillen with the super chat says we cry together as creative, but it brings me back. Way it brings back way too many traumas from my childhood. I can't go back to that song. Uh, LP with the super chat says Jay got back in, uh, got back in. I guess riding. He said riding. Oh, he said Jay got back in riding the Jeezy and Ross train. I'm gonna get to that too. Um, He's right about that too. He is right about that as well. Uh, Ray Reynolds with the Super Chat says, Coop, are you sure you want a, a, a versus against 50? <laughs> Dumb it down with the Super Chat says, that Kendrick album should bring him down in the rap rankings. He's behind Lupe and J. Cole and more. Not that far down. Y'all want to bring him down. Now, I'm not, I'm not ready to bring him down. I, I do think that the five-year break is what it is, and I do think that coming back from a five-year break, I think it was a... Uh, 007 with a super chat uh, last episode that says something along the lines of this isn't the album you make after a five year break. This is the album after that album. And I think that that's where the problem lies. Um, I do want to go back to that whole Jay-Z uh, notion or whatnot. I think that when you talk about the type of numbers that 50 Cent was doing, even on the massacre, he did a million in a week. Remember when Jay-Z was really making it a point to do a million in a week? He never did that. You know what I'm saying? After volume two, he would always talk up this million in a week thing, million in a week thing. It never happened. 50 went out there and not only did 10 million from New York, Queens, New York, Southside Jamaica, did 10 million on Get Rich or Die Trying, and The Massacre did a million in a week. That's not a good look if you outside and you Jay and you're continuously working. You know what I'm saying? He he was like, listen, let me fall back a couple years. Let me let this die down a little bit. Because miraculously, when all that died down, in 06, he came back. So what I would submit to you is the same thing that I've been submitting. And it's I was smart, never though. Being, let me just say that, by the way. Yeah. I was No, I understand. I was never being like I was never trying to slight Jay when I said this, but I'm going to say this again. Well, 50's strength is his hit-making ability. Oh, yeah. That is not Jay's strength. Jay's strength is actually the same strength as Nas's strength, which actually his B-side album records, he just doesn't do it as well. He's not the hit-maker you all think that he is because his biggest album got to $5 million because he took a hook from Ja Rule, it got put on a soundtrack. That is going. That album is going to do about two or three million without that song. Okay. Volume so two is a, is a very collaborative, heavy album. Some would consider it a a, 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 a compilation. But what I'm trying to say is, is, is that his real fan base, his real core fan base, Mike, the people that really love Jay and follow Jay, mm-hmm. those are the people that like. Dead Presidents, Friend or Foe. Dead Presidents, my favorite Jay record. Imaginary Player. 
Yeah. Can't rhyme no more a million and one questions. You must love me. His core following is not the ain't no uh ain't no nigga. Can I get a no? It's not. Because if it was, he would have done 50 type numbers. He's not that vein of hitmaker. 50's core audience are the people who like in the club and 21 questions and wankster because that's what 50 provides. Jay does not provide that like that. Okay. Yeah. And 50 knows how to make a hit. And the other thing about that, to piggyback on what you're saying, 50 can make these hits without collaborations, right? And and when and when Jay and when Jay makes hit records, a lot of the times it's collaborations. You know what I'm saying? His first number one record was Empire State of Mind. A lot of people who are Jay fans don't really love that record, but even with that record. It was the power of that chorus from Alicia Keys, and she didn't even write that. This song was pretty much packaged, gift, hand-wrapped, and given. He just had to put the verses down. No, I'm not saying Leroy Green just made a comment. He's like, Jay got hits too. No, Jay has hits. But what I'm saying is is that he played a game that really wasn't suited suited to his strong sense. Uh, str- uh, strong suits. He's never been the hit maker, the big and pock, or even Fifty was. And he should have never centered suit. around. He should have never centered it around numbers. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's the guy when he's talking about me and my homie. Started out code D, picked the mailbox lock because I ain't had no key. Had the cable with the anchor when Jazz made so feeble. When I went low key, but now I'm back. It's on, motherfuckers. That's the guy we love. That's what his core fan base looked like. His core fan base is not the guy on Sunshine talking about body crazy, tits firm like Nature, Foxy, Nas, and AZ. That's not his core following. And that's you know, not his core strength. And I think that mindset, and I think that's part of his business mindset slash artist mindset, it's why the blueprint has ineffective moments. He didn't trust the records on the blueprint themselves without having to get Eminem for Renegade or without having to get a song that sounded like everything else with Jigga Jigga that nigga Jigga and Ola Ovito like he should have trust that okay you don't know he didn't think you don't know was going to be big he didn't he should trust what he does very well but he didn't trust that he was riding trends and it messed up some of his albums and it's consistency I was listening to the Unplugged while we were on the road um, the Jay Z Unplugged album and you know what song he did for Encore? And I forgot he did this. He did Jigga Jigga That Nigga Jigga for an Encore. He thought that was hot. He was really pushing that. as a, That song is the worst song on that album by far. And, it, and it's like of all the records on that album, because it sounded like Fiesta or whatever, or stuff that was going on at the time for Trackmasters, he was like, you know what? Let me do this. It was chasing a hit. When it's like, like you said, the best version of Jay is not the hits. And he knows that. He's ahead. That's why he's always pushing the B-sides when people talk versus stuff. Because his B-sides are his best records. And that would give him the best chance of the verses. Uh, the mm-hmm. L Web 100 says, I think Kendrick is a victim of, his, uh, of the streaming era. Literally, no rapper makes hits or bangers anymore. So <clears throat> that's what I mean is, is that so Jay came along in a time where it's like, well, the guys that rhymed the best were the stars. Like it, there was a time where it's like, well, if you rhymed the best, you were the stars. So Jay comes from that era. He said that changed. on that phone call. It's funny you say that. And I know you didn't hear the whole phone call, but he said something like that. 
Oh, yeah, he, he comes from that era. It's like, no, no, the point is to rhyme the best. The guys that rhyme the best got the notoriety. And so he's looking at himself in 96 at 27 years old. These dudes that are three or four years younger than him are already rhyming better than him. So he's, he's playing catch up to a younger peer group. And that's what I mean. And what I'm saying, he's never going back to that place in his ego and in his mind of having to do that again, because he's Jay now. And so when he's seeing 50 and Yay coming and he's hearing the music and all that stuff, no, it is better to fall back. That's part of what makes him so wise as a businessman. I don't mm-hmm. totally disagree with the move because he don't take it. He's being honest about his ego not being able to take it, Mike. It's like, no, I can accept that. I can accept the man being honest about his ego. LP with the Super Chat says, Jay got 24 Grammys and only four are solo. I mean, those are just facts. Um, Nas the Goat says, 50 ain't selling like that without M and Dre. I mean, we could say that, and it's probably true, but the fact is, he's not the only artist ever that's had M and Dre either. And he was able to make the most of it. We can't knock him for that. No, we can't. DeCarlo with the Super Chat says, I remember fans saying that Jay was also old, too, around the time 50 dropped. I believe he was losing the younger generation, being that he was closer to 40. And I think there was an attempt, too, to get people to kind of catch up to him, right? Because this is when he took away the jerseys, you know. I don't wear jerseys. I'm 30-plus. Give me a fresh pair of jeans, nigga, button up. And I guess everybody wasn't latching on to that. It was like, you know what? Let me step away for a minute. Hold on, what do you say to that? It's not on my feet to make my what? Make my cypher cypher complete. complete. Okay. Um, The L Web 100 says the best Jay can do right now is release American Gangster 2. Well, you know what? We haven't even gotten into that, but I don't know what Jay can release right now. You got, my mind is boggled. Unless, you know, we got an Alchemist album. I know you got to say Alchemist the answer for everything. I don't know what Jay can release right now. I mean, he's Jay, so he can essentially release what he wants. I just don't like how he's starting to contextualize and remember things and pitch it to a new generation about how these things have unfolded and happened. And yeah. no, I didn't get shook. I'll keep I'll keep Jeezy. I'm just saying the way y'all are taking about 50, it makes me want to take Wayne. Because I'm going to tell you what, if I take Wayne, I'm washing that ass. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne, Wayne's right. tough. Mike, you know what time it is. If I take Wayne, Mike probably ain't going to want to do it because he's going to be like, I don't stand a chance because he don't. Wayne, no got Wayne got a lot. Wayne got a lot. Wayne got a lot. Mad Max in the Super Chat says, Mad Max says, uh, Empire State of Mind is, is, is whack. <laughs> Nobody from NY considers that the NY anthem, LOL. My generation rocking with... Uh, Bobby Computers as our anthem. Uh, Pop Smoke Dior. Got more love. Yeah. I mean, you know. Okay. No, no, that's real. I mean, I have, I mean, we were talking to Jar from Rap uh, Roundtable about it. People in New York really don't take well to that record. I guess I could compare it to how I feel about Welcome to Atlanta by Jermaine Dupri. Like, that's a, that's a tourist anthem, I guess. Yeah, it's not a real anthem, a real indicator. They don't the play that in the city. Yeah, we don't be playing that down people, here. People outside the city who might be coming to Atlanta play that shit. We in the club for the people that come in the city to think that's what we play. Like, nah, we don't yeah, play. I ain't playing that. Um, all right, so real quick. I saw this uh, graphic, and it kind of coincides with what we're talking about. Uh, Critical <laughs> Culture put it out, right? 
And they put out a Mount Rushmore graphic for the 2010s, I believe. And it had Wayne, Kanye, Jay-Z, and they had who who should get that other spot. The options were T.I., Eminem, 50, and Nas. Of the what? Huh? Of the what? Of what years? Uh, I'm sorry, not 2010s. The 2000s. My bad. So the 2000s, Mount Rushmore, they got Wayne, Kanye, Jay. And then it has a question mark. And the options here says, which rapper below should get the fourth spot? T.I., Eminem, Nas, or 50? People in the chat saying, I don't see Jeezy. You know, I think that's a fair point. I think Jeezy should get a mention. And in my personal opinion, if we talking about the 2000s, man, I guess Jay gets in there for the early 2000s. He's getting in for the early stuff, but didn't Nas getting in for the early stuff too, if that's the case? Because isn't that still Maddox and Godson? Huh, let's talk about this. It is. It's still Maddox and Godson. So, all right, so 2000, when we talk about Jay, 2000, you got um, the Dynasty. 2001, you got the Blueprint. 2002, the Blueprint 2. 2003, the Black Album, right? Kingdom Come in 06. Um, yeah, he deserves that spot. You got American Gangster in 07, and you got the Blueprint 3 in 09. Honestly, it could be argued the the 2000s might be Jay's strongest era. It is. That's a lot of albums, and it's a lot of songs, not to mention the two best of both worlds and all that. Yeah, yeah, he deserves that. Um, I'm giving that one to T.I. I might be biased in this, but I think I'm giving that other spot to T.I. Okay, so hold on. So listen, so with Nas from... 2001, we have Stillmatic, 2002, Godson, 2004, Streets Disciple, 2006, Hip Hop is Dead, 2008, Untitled. And the Damian Marley Distant Relatives is 2010. 2010's so, so, a new no, decade. So, oh, no, no, no. So, my question to, be, to you is that if you're going to pick T.I., is it what three albums does he have that's better than Stillmatic, Godson, and Distant Relatives? And I'm just saying that fairly speaking. I think collectively, if we talk about the run of the run of uh, trap music, Urban Legend, King. Um, okay. You got mixtapes in there as well. Um, when was Paper Trail? Is Paper Trail still? Uh, let's look up. Paper because Trail people love up. Paper Trail. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think that's because I'm a you know, a fan of the other parts of his career. But people love Paper Trail. No, I think Paper Trail is a really dope album. One it of is. Best no, I'm a fan I, of Paper Trail. I think Paper Trail is more so on a on a technical level. Yeah, that's 08. That's so, some of his best songwriting stuff, actually, on Paper it Trail. Is. Like, it is. Okay. Even the songwriter, some of his best songwriters on Paper Trail. People are saying that T.I. is overrated. I think T.I. is actually, over time, because of his personality and because of social media and reality television, has actually become underrated. T.I. had a whole wave going on. And you know what? Outside of those albums, the features that T.I. would get on at that in that period. Epic. Oh, I mean, I, I would always be mindful about somebody in any era speaking in reference to another artist and Nas in terms of features. You sure you want to do that? 
Because if I pull up Nas's 2000, to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure T.I. probably had some bigger features. But I guarantee you, like, Nas's feature list is, is like, the feature list. Now, what's Nas's biggest features in the 2000s? No, I mean, I'm about to, like, I'm, I'm literally about to look for you right Because, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, like, just go off top and just be like, you go, you go from Blur Lines to Justin Timberlake, my love, to yeah, no, uh, to Slim Thugs, um, uh, Three Kings. Um, I mean, Ti's all over the place when it comes to the features. Uh, look at the grill. Uh, LP says Ti's production choice dated his music. Now that part I would agree with. I think that we want to talk about people who aren't great beat pickers. I think that T.I. could possibly fall in that category. And I say that respectfully because I think, obviously, I think he's a more phenomenal MC than you guys do. I just think that the production that he chose over the years just never really was able to show that to a lot of people. So, listen, this is what I mean about it's kind of how you want to reach your guest appearances. Well, in 2000... Nas did the Mariah Carey, Thank God I Found You, and I Got the Habit with Jermaine Dupri and Monica. But also, also in 2000, Capone and Noriega, Be Easy, Wu-Tang, Let My Niggas Live, DJ Clue, Live from the Bridge. That's just 2000, Mike. Hold on, let's go. Those are cool. Hold on. In in 2001, on Run DMC's album, Queen's Day, Show Discipline with Jada Kiss. When you're talking about guest appearances, you just can't say hits. He, he's everywhere. No, but T.I. was everywhere, too. I mean, he wasn't just doing hits. Mike, I'm still in 2001 with Nas. You hear the records going through the essence with AZ, the pledge with Ja Rule and Ashanti, in between us with Scarface. You want me to keep going? Sure. 2004, grand finale with Lil Jon and the Eastside. T.I. was on there as well. We Major, Kanye. T.I. was on that album as well. Ti is not on late registration, dude. Yeah, he is on drive th- drive slow. That's Paul Wall. No, nah, he ended up on the uh, video version. That's what it was. Remember? Right, but he's not on the. But I'm saying album? he's on the song. The song album. Oh, why you hate the game? Off of the game's album, and I'm just going through some success off American Gangster. Yeah, I think T.I.'s uh, feature game in that era trumps that. And again, Nas is Nas. And I think that Nas is prime. It, I mean, the best, best of the best Nas that we got was in the 90s. And I think that this era of Nas is probably the second best. So Nas the Goat says, T.I. over Nas, Mike, you bugging. No, I'm just saying, like, this is the best decade that T.I. had. And probably out of the three, the weakest decade that Nas had. So I'm just okay. giving a man flowers for the time, the best time in his career. You know what I mean? Oh, and I get that, Mike. And you know how I feel about Tip, but it's like you didn't really answer the album question. What does he have? And what do you have for Stillmatic, Godson, and Distant Relatives? Because you're not winning that, and you know that. That's why you kind of bought up the guest appearances. I think that if we talk about collectively, what's he got better than Stillmatic? He doesn't have an album better than Stillmatic. But I Does think that collective, I think that trap music is. Okay. I think Urban music. Legend could actually be better, too. I mean, no, Urban Legend's not better than Godson. I'll give you trap music. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this for real, man. I'm not a huge Godson fan like that. I'm just not. I'm not a huge Godson fan like that either, Mike. But, like but I think Urban, I would rather listen to Urban Legend than Godson. I'm just being real. I, 
as far as listening ability, I would feel the same about both. But here's what I'm going to submit to you. I think King is better than God's son. Now, is that fair? If both albums are comparable, you understand one album has made you look on it, right? So that's and one of the good. albums has um um, um got nothing like made you look on there, Michael. No, I was talking about King. Got what you know. King got what you know. How about this? King and Godson is a better conversation. I King is better than Godson. I don't know about that. Mark. It is. King is better than Godson. We got to get this man props. I know Nas is Nas, man. It might be, it might be better from beginning to end. It is. It is. High. That three album run right there, the tip had with uh, trap music, urban legend, and King, that so, can't be overlooked, man. We so can't listen overlook. To, listen to what you're saying, though. You're telling me that this is Nas's worst run, and it's comparable to Tip's best run. You're saying it's comparable. I'm not. It is. You just said Stillmatic's the best album between any of them. Yeah, but that's it. So, so hold on. After but I also said, I also said, trap music, urban legend, and King are better than all the other ones you mentioned. Hold on. Hold on. So you think so? Stillmatic, and then it would go what? Trap music king, in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah, but after that, what I'm trying to tell you is it would go Godson, distant relatives. So Nas would take. Nah, three I think Urban Legend's better than Godson. I mean, I said that too. Oh, Urban Legend's not better than Godson, in indefinitely, indefinitely. And I you think, think Paper Trail is probably better than Distant Relatives. And I'm not a huge Paper Trail fan. Now, I would, once again, I would probably Relatives rather... Relatives is better beginning to end than, than Paper Trail is, but Paper Trail has more highlights. Mad Max with the Super Chat says, uh, LOL, my bias that goes to 50 just oh, based oh, off oh. the... Yeah, he said my bias goes to 50 just based off the legendary run or oh, Nas, LOL, because that's the early 2000s. No, 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 Mike. I was just thinking, when did the Lost Tapes come out? This conversation is over. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was 2002. Oh, oh, uh, oh, I'm was the... Mike, I'm sorry. I don't know why we're having this conversation. The Lost Tapes, Stillmatic, Godson, Distant Relatives. You lose. That's over, Mike. No, nah, I that. disagree with you. Hold on. Okay, okay. So let's do it again. Because the Lost <laughs> Tapes is better. Hold on. You have, hold on. You think Stillmatic's better than the Lost Tapes? Yeah. It so is. Still, still, so, so if we're ranking these albums, Stillmatic's is still number one. And then then I'm going to try music. And hold on. So here's what I tell you: the Lost Tapes is better than King, and everybody on here is about to agree with me. Of and course you know they are, but I disagree with that. This is how no, we order. Thing, no, Mike. The only thing I'm, King has over the only thing King has over the Lost Tapes is what you know, and you know that as a hip hop fan. It got so front back. No, man. No, King got, got bangs. Got you with Lost Tapes. Let it go. Let it, Mike. You need to let it go. You can't as a hip hop fan. <laughs> Sit up there and tell people that still mad at Godson, Lost Tapes, Distant Relatives, like the T.I.'s kept best This is where I'm going. I'm going, if I put these in order, right, I'm going still mad at, then I'm going trap music, right? Then I'm going, then I'm going law, uh. Right. No, 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 no. no. I'm going king. No, no, no. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be fair. Then I'm going king, then I'm going Lost Tapes. Then I'm going Urban Legend. Then I'm going Godson. And then I'm going Paper Trail and then Distant Relatives. But hold so on, we're going to act I, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. I, want I guess we're not adding in the no. other ones, right? No, you just said King's better than Lost Tapes. Show me where. And do it right now. They're saying uh, Coop is really oh, reaching with Nas in the 2000s. Tom Knight says, uh, T.I. ruined his legacy. Flying... Uh, Flying that demo, demo crap flag. 
<laughs> I couldn't hear the way you said he said demo crack flag. That was creative. Uh, DeCarlo says Nas don't have the impact in this era like the other guys. That's why he's not on here. Uh, Eminem honestly should be the correct answer for his long run. Now, you know what? I will agree. And, you know, regardless of what you think about those albums, Coops, they just don't have the impact that those T.I. albums have. Hold on. You're saying the Lost Tapes doesn't have the impact on what albums? Lost Tapes has more of an impact than, than King does, Mike. That's what I'm trying to tell you. No, it doesn't. What you know is like, on King. I, what are you talking like, about? Like I said, like no, I said. No, 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 no. I'm not going to let you say that, man. Like, like, hey, I ATL what, like, is a cult classic like, because of like, King. I'll tell you what. Right now, you don't want to line up the songs on King, the Lost Tapes. You're not going to win nothing but what you know and maybe one or two other records, and you know it. Do you want to do that? I would love to do that, actually. Mad Max with the Super Chat says, T.I. ain't become a national name until... Whenever Bring Him Out, A Swagger Like Us came out. LOL. He can't be top four. T.I. is not even over the game. Come on, Mike. Uh, Come on, stop. Mike. Let's put out King Nelly over T.I. in the 2000s. No. Mike, I feel sorry for you. You're really trying to play like King versus Lost Tapes. Let's go to the first record. What's the first record on King, Mike? Hold on, let me get to these Super Chats real quick. Uh, Nas the Goat says, uh, T.I. over Lost Tape, Stillmatic, uh, Godson is blasphemy. Man, y'all Nas fans is really going to get at me, man. The, uh, the oh, L Web 100 I'm says, I feel like people slept on T.I. versus T.I.P. too. Eh? No, yeah. that's not good. LP says, uh, y'all need to go track for track. Y'all playing Godson. Okay. We're going to go track no, no, for no. track. No, no, no. He said King's better than Lost Tapes. He's bugging. Let's go. Okay, we're going to go. Billy Barr says uh, Nas has a 3P. And we got one more Super Chat, and we're going to get to this. We're going to go track for track. This is going to be cool. I'm going to take note, too. Hold on. Okay. LP says uh, Corday, A Boogie. Be quoting I can uh I can word for word. Yeah, like I can was cool. I know Coop don't like I can like that. Tabanette says uh King over lost tapes. Coop, come on. All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. You gonna pull no, up no. the lost tapes and I'm gonna pull up King. Oh, I have lost tapes pulled up. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, tracks is on King? 16, 15? Uh let's see. It is 17. Oh, uh, no, intros, interludes? No, some of that is intros. Tip interludes. was giving us some work, man. No, 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 he did work. I will give him that. Uh, sure. Let's see, King was... How yeah. many songs is what I'm saying? No, no, it was 17. I'm just saying, no interludes. Um, ready? King? Hmm? There's no interludes on King? Yes, there is. I mean, it might be in between the songs, but it ain't like, you know, that's one of the tracks. Really? Okay, yeah. let's go. All right, so the intro is King's back. Yeah, that's Do-Rag, so you're down one. Oh, that was the first song? Yeah, I, I don't know why I yeah. felt like it started with Fetus. Yeah, no, All right, down one. Oh, where's my pen? Let me, let me, let me document this real quick. Yeah, actually, you want to know what we need to do? We actually need to do... How many tracks are on trap music? You don't want to... Well, this is only 12 tracks, so Stillmatic would be a better fight for King. Yeah, okay. Hold on. You feel me? Like, Stillmatic would be a better fight, actually, just because it's more balanced track-wise in line with Trap King. music got 17 tracks on it, too. Uh, 16, really. 
with a rubber band man remix. Yeah, we can run it however you want to run it. You yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I want that, man. I want King and uh, Lost Tape Smoke. So we got Front Back featuring UGK. That's my way, so I'll give you that. I think uh, Front Back with UGK yeah, front is better. Yeah, got that. What yeah. you know? You got that. You got to love it. Like, that's why I'm cool with that. I know how this album plays out. I'm talking to you. Nothing lasts forever. You can have that, too. All right. Living in the Sky featuring Jamie Foxx. And there's, this is where you start losing. No idea is original. I didn't yeah. like Living in the Sky like that. Yeah. You can have that one. Oh, Ride With Me. It's my shit. No. <laughs> Blazer 50. Next. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me Ride With Me better than Blazer 50. You know better, Mike. I'd rather <laughs> listen to Ride With Me, but I'll give you Blazer 50. Everybody would rather listen to games albums, but they keep saying Kendrick Lamar's the best artist on the West Coast. Whatever. Why you wanna? Everybody's crazy. Why you wanna got that? Mm, I'm not a fan of either one of them like that. All right. Get it. Purple. Got you. (laughs) (laughs) Top back. Drunk by myself. Got you again. No, top back's better than that. (laughs) No, on what level? Hold on. All these Kendrick it, fans, it, all on. these all, all these Kendrick, Eminem, and Lupe fans need to explain to me how Top Back is better. No, Top Back is better, man. <laughs> and I like drunk by myself, but no, man, it's I not. You, I wash you that, but I'm not giving you Top Back. No, drunk come on, cool, man. We can't no, do no, that, no, man. What? No, let's actually, see what the no, people say. Let's see what the people say. No, all jokes aside, Drunk by Myself is actually one of his more honest and personal and introspective moments. Usually he is speaking introspectively about other people. This time he is talking about what's going on with him. Now, how is it okay when other artists like Jay do this on 444 or Scarface does this all the time or Tupac does this, but we don't want to give it the same weight on Drunk by Myself? What y'all got? Drunk by Myself or Top Back? You, uh, you know, to quote, to quote, Coop. drunk by myself, Mike. Like to quote, Coop. To quote, you. This got him a Chevrolet deal. No, top back is big, just like one mic is big. But that's I mean, how can you justify this, Coop? Um, no, top back. I look at top back the same way I look at one mic. It's like no, that's one of those things. It's like great for your catalog, great for what it did to you. Like just the song, though. It's like the song ain't like that. The song's not better. Inherently been drunk by myself. What it did for him was awesome. Uh, Antonio says, although I think Nas's albums are better than Ti, I do agree that Ti is more impact in that decade. Nas is my I favorite, do. but I remember the Ti buzz. It was real. Hold on. Hold on, I'll give you the impact. I'm just saying, if you're basing it on the albums, then it's Nas. I'll give you the impact. Dang, people I'm, I'm, got yeah. drunk by myself over Top Back, man. Wow. Everybody got drunk by myself over Top Back. Wow, everybody. Leroy Green, the only person saying top back, Mike. That's how you know you're wrong. Leroy's the only person that agrees with you. I'm straight. I'm straight featuring BG and Young Jeezy. I don't think so, Mike. Black Zombie. Yeah, I like Black Zombie more. Yeah. Um, Undertaker. Papa was a player. Oh, Papa was a player. Is great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Mike. You're not winning this. <laughs> Stand-up guy. Fetus. Yeah, Fetus got that one. Man, you could have gave me top back. Come on. 
No, but Top Back's not like that. That's what I'm saying. Top Back's one of his weaker singles, of like his top end singles. I agree. That's- I agree with that. It's Top Back, the way I look at one mic and I can. It's like, no, 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 that's cool. You need that in the catalog, I guess. Um, You know who? We're done with Lost Tapes. That's what I'm saying. And then you got Good Life and you got Hello, um, Told You So, Bankhead. No, how about this? You want to know what? I'm going to be objective here. T.I. does belong on there in that era more than Nas does. Yeah. But here's what other people need to be objective about. If that's the case, Jay not making that 90s list then. Mm-mm. No, he's not. Okay. LP says uh, Wayne did top back better than T.I. Man. Mm, it's a little disrespectful. Somewhere I disagree in the middle. with that. Wayne fans are another one, man. Wayne got a strong fan base. I no, we, give but no, all jokes aside, we can give it to Tip because Tip was more influential and he was everywhere. You know how I feel about what you know. That's that's the Atlanta anthem for me. But I was just saying, like, I forgot. I mean, it's the reason why this is a whole um, this whole roster is the Swagger Like Us roster. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a reason why that song was a big deal and why those people were chosen for that record because they were the most influential of that decade, even though no, Jay I, was more of, like, the earlier part. No, I'll give him that. No, I can give him all that. I'm cool yeah. with that. But again, what Nas is doing right now is unprecedented. And it definitely needs to be acknowledged. Um, There's some more housekeeping Um. No, Jay, I just want to be clear about this. See, this is how history gets convoluted, though, because people want to try to put Jay on the Mount Rushmore in the 90s, and it's like, well, that's Biggie, Pac, and Nas for sure. Like, we're sure on that, right? We're not having no conversation. Well, you got four spots. So who would the fourth guy be in the 90s? It would be my question to you. It might be Jay. Okay, so is that fair to Redman? It is what it is. Um, no, not what I asked you. How many classic albums did Redman drop in the 90s? Three. How many did Jay drop in the 90s? One and a possible. So how is this a conversation? Did Redman also do How High? He did. Did he not end the decade with Blackout with Method Man and Redman? I'm thinking Snooper Cute. I, and you know, I'm, I don't mean to uh, interfere I'm cool with on you. Or X. Or I'm cool with Cube or X, actually. Yeah. I mean, because if we talk impact, because I think when we talk about the 90s, we we tend to forget about 90, 91, 92. You know what I mean? No, actually, if we're being fair about this, actually, you know what I was thinking about? Face? Is that no, Cube, no, Scarface too, but probably not enough notoriety because here's the thing. Well, Cube got America's Most, Death Certificate, Lethal Injection, The Predator, Kill at Will. He's on The Diary. He's the only guest appearance on The Diary. He's got West Side Connections album in 96. Which he is got another Friday album. and Players Club. He has Friday. <laughs> He's got Players Club. He's got Pushing Weight on War and Peace. That spot belongs to Ice Cube. It does. So it's Pac, Big J. I mean, it's Pac, Big Nas, Ice Cube in the nineties. Because I think what people fail to uh, remember sometimes is setting off the nineties in hip hop. He was the biggest guy. It's Cube. No, yeah. Cube was that. Guy. Cube yeah. was the biggest. How about this? When that whole um, super lyrical era of like Rakim and KRS and G rapping them was coming to a close, Cube was the guy. Yeah, Cube was the next guy when that era's ending, and so. And if you actually look at it, 
he held weight the whole decade. Because it wasn't until 98 that War and Peace came back that he really lost steam. That West Side Connection album is great, Mike. That's as dope as any album in 1996, too. That's a dope-ass album. I think Cube's run from 90 to 96, even, trumps uh, Jay's run from 96 to 99. Because if we're counting 2000, 2000s in the 2000s, right? So... We, we're going to have to count Reasonable Doubt, Volume 1, as we, you know, highlighted earlier. They really didn't have the impact that, you know, that they did later on when he became who he became. So his impactful project was Volume 2. Volume 3 really wasn't that. And then that's it. You know what I'm saying? If those are the four we're going off of, and you're putting that up against Kill It Will, America's Most, Death Certificate, The Predator, Bow Down... Yeah, it's not even a conversation, to be honest. And to be honest with you, if you are putting Jay ahead of Cube, what you're really being is that's real East Coast bias, actually. It is. It is. No, that's real. Uh, I mean, because let's just look at it like this, and we got to be honest. Reasonable Doubt became a classic after he became what he was, right? And it's a brilliant album. I love Reasonable Doubt. I think it's his best album. But the the impact wasn't immediate, right? And so volume one is viewed as a drop-off, isn't it? How about this? He's viewed it in that way. And I know it's your favorite Jay album, or one of them. Well, that's why he's talking about he didn't appreciate it until the second one came out. Because it's like, when you listen to volume one, you're like, hold on, where's the guy that was about to get indicted? You know what I mean? Because he only shows up on Imaginary Player. You Mm -hmm. must love me. Streets is watching where I'm from, like, like he doesn't give it to you full scale like he does on Reasonable Doubt, and it makes you go back to Reasonable Doubt and understand the conversation on a whole nother level. It's like, oh, no, no, no. He was really giving us, like, that real street rhetoric. And I also want to say something, too, because I think this is something that often when I say it, people don't understand the depth of what I'm saying. J. Phil Cool G raps lane and actually made it a viable lane for dope boys to sell records. Cool G Rap wasn't selling no damn records. Like, so when I'm talking about Jay in relationship to 50 and what he does, Jay does what Cool G Rap did. That shit used to not sell you anything. Jay is a hustler. Jay took something that didn't sell for the previous permit and made it viable. So I'm not trying to downgrade him when I'm talking about the hit maker that he is in relationship to 50. It's like, no, he sold this dope boy talk to the tune of like platinum and then multi-platinum. That hadn't been done before. Nobody talking like him was going platinum. Cool G Rap was not going, Cool G Rap wasn't going gold. DeCarlo with the Super Chat says, Snoop is the answer. Y'all crazy. And I would say that, and I love Snoop. But we just talking about decade. Doggy Style. Yeah, I can't give him the whole decade. Doggy Style and the Crumbs, but we can't give him the whole decade. Yeah. Um, LP says, Cube, Snoop, Redman, Method Man, Kim, um, Common, Face. You know, Kim is an interesting pick, too. And I, and I see people saying DMX and all of that as well. Um, well here, Nas the Goat says, Jay doesn't belong... Um, too many bad albums in the 2000s. Okay. Uh, Mad Max says, Jay's not over DMX in the 90s. Uh, laughing my ass off. Get Jay out of here. LL over Jay in the 90s. Snoop, Cube, uh, like, let's relax. Here's why people are saying X over Jay, because when Jay was outside from 96 to 99, well, X popped up right after, dropped two classic albums, and sold more records. Yeah. 
Uncle Fram says, uh, Coop, every resolution cannot always end with the downplaying of Jay. I thought, didn't I just play Jay up in terms of what he did for the Hustlers Lane and selling records? Did I miss something about what I said? Didn't I just say that that was like a feat? Guys that were talking like that weren't selling records before, and he's the guy that made it viable and made those records get sold? How is that a downplay? I was just playing him up in terms of what he accomplished. You're supposed to say that Jay-Z's on the Mount Rushmore of every decade. Oh, right, Just like right. you tried so, to convince me that Nas is on the... When we, put, when we give people like Redman and Ice Cube and Scarface, they're just due. And Jay only makes one Mount Rushmore list like every other MC would probably make. It's a problem. Right. Yeah, just like you tried to get uh, me to put Nas on the Mount Rushmore over T.I. In an no, era that was no, really T.I.'s era. No, no, no. It's just musically, he didn't make better music than Nas, but the era was his. And even I conceded that. That's what I mean is, is that like these dudes that be on Jay's side, it's like they be so hard about how they ride for him. It's like he wasn't the best thing that you heard from the moment that you heard him from the beginning to the end. He's not big. He's not pop. He's not Nas. He's not rocking. He's not on the Mount Rushmore in the 90s. He popped up in 96. He made one classic album. He made one really dope album. He had some hot features. Next. It's problematic, in a word. All right. Well, let's get up out of here, man. Um, we appreciate everybody rocking with us this whole episode, man. We got some uh, really good stuff here, and I'm looking forward to the 8-Ball MJG and UGK versus, um, you know, just reading those old tweets kind of like, or not tweets, but posts from Bun B. Kind of pissed me off a little bit, but hey, you know, we're good. And we're going to watch this thing. And if you haven't gotten the According to Hip Hop 2020 and 2021 yearbook, we're going to put the link um, in the chat or I'll put the link in the description of this actual video. Y'all need to check it out because really this whole episode, Coop, was about people not properly documenting history and individuals out here trying to rewrite history all the way down to Swiss treating Bun B like, UGK and 8-Ball and MJG aren't historical figures in hip-hop. Hold on. This is what I mean about how <clears throat> you have to be careful about how you levy things. And Scarface wouldn't make our Mount Rushmore in the 90s. Why don't you listen to Scarface's albums in the 90s? Mr. Scarface is back. The World is Yours. The Diary. The Untouchable. My Homies. The Last of a Dying Breed. Don't you think objectively, album-wise, that deserves more consideration than what Jay did? I think the hits is where, you know, no, objectively speaking, yes. If we're just sticking it to the music and we're not talking about anything outside of that culturally, yes. I mean, but the reality of the situation is like when we talk about these Mount Rushmore's, we talk about like the impact. And I will say this, like Jay had people dressing like him, even if he did kind of take certain trends from certain places, there were rappers that came out that were like mirrored images of Jay. Like you remember the guy, uh, ROC from um, So So Deaf. Like there was a lot of people who were trying to rhyme like Jay and his impact was felt. It was what it was. So anybody who would say Jay over Scarface in the overall scheme of things, I could see where they're coming from. But I understand where you're coming from if it's just album for album. Yes, Scarface does deserve that consideration. LP says Mavs and nine. <laughs> yeah. No, all, all I'm saying is, is, is that like people need to stop acting like that like Jay-Z like just came in this game because this is how it gets framed now. They act like he came in this game. 
he took this game, he's been running this game. It's like, no, he got here late 95. He didn't really get his running the game from 90. That started about summer of 98. Uh-huh. That, that was over by about Yeah, the 90s of, was pretty much over at that point. Right. And so like, like I said, and I don't say this disparagingly, uh, Leroy Green, but when it got hot and you had somebody who was coming in with a full machine and 50 cent and uh, banging on every level, on the street level and the mainstream level, he bowed out. Business decisions. And like, waited until things saying. cooled off and he came back in. You know, I remember that Breakfast Club interview that he did. I want to say that was around um, Magna Carta time. And he said... <laughs> He was telling Beanie Siegel and the rest of uh, State Property, yo, this 50 Cent guy is coming. He acknowledged that. He knew what was coming. He's one of those guys that knows, especially in the industry back then, everything was so calculated and everything was so planned out in the industry. It's not like it is today where people could just upload an album tomorrow. They know what's happening. People on the inside, they know what's happening six months from now. He knew 50 was coming and he knew he was coming in that way. He had that inside information. And he, he was knew. like, yo, let me chill out for a minute. Let this cool off. He had and come back. He had money. He had power. He had relationships. Yeah. He had He's seen people. He wrote still Drift, DRE. Exactly. Yeah. He wrote still DRE. I, they, he knew what was coming. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to get up out of here, man. I'm looking forward to talking about this uh, uh, versus recap on Friday. Um, I mean, because I know people probably ain't going to be up tomorrow night to chop it up with us after the verses but you and I need to talk about it before we talk about it if that makes any sense because I'm sure there's I'm gonna have my notepad out and you know and I hope it goes well for Bun 8-Ball and them JG's um, you know purposes but as quickly as they put this together I don't know what's your favorite Biggie verse Mike before we get out of here Damn. Oh, I didn't say that story about the uh, uh, Get Money remix that Puff was talking about. But um, off the top of my head, when you said that, off the top of my head, the victory verse came to mind. Now, I'm not saying that is my favorite because he has so many, but that was the first one I thought of when you said that. Everybody goes to that verse. That was the last verse he ever did. Yeah. The indicator of where he was going. Right. There's some of everything on that verse. Mm-hmm. I think about the verses that he made that made me like think or feel about the level that he was taking it to. And so I think about the first verse to my downfall, mm. uh, the first verse to you're nobody till somebody kills you. Yeah, me. that one came to mind too. Yeah, with my sycamore style, more well, sicker than yours. Yes. 4 4 and 54 draw has my pilot, steers my Leah. Yes, my dear, shit's official. Only the feds I fear. Somebody said everyday struggle. Yeah, that second verse on everyday struggle came to mind, too. Second verse on everyday struggle came to mind. All the verses on kicking the door came to mind. Like, I was thinking kicking the door in terms of his mic performance. He was fantastic, that, man. That might be his crew to tie. That might be like, that That might be his mic performance because on every verse, he is everything that the greatest MC of all time should be. He's lyrical. He's witty. The wordplay is high. The delivery is solid. The shit talking is epic, Mike, and nobody's immune. Can't Stop the Rain was crazy for me, too. 
this is what this is what the second verse, don't you? Hmm. Yeah. The second verse or the first verse? The second verse. Shit was crazy. Yeah, I like the first one, but either way, either way. Um, I, this is what I was gonna say though. The Get Money remix. Puff revealed on this phone call on this uh, clubhouse that I guess Big wrote the first verse for Get Money remix for him, and it ended up being Caesar's verse. And I when I listen that. to the verse now, it makes sense. He's like, "How you figure that your team can affect my cream? Gold and platinum plaque since I stepped on the scene. Now, I mean, like that fits Puff. Yeah. Uh." The the villa and all that stuff, like it just makes sense. Like, oh, that's me and him, much love, like one ten. Uh huh. No, that definitely is big. Hold on. I mean, Here's no, right. that's definitely Puff. Like, that's big writing in the mindset of Puff. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I wrote this for Puff. Hold on, Mike. Here's what I have to tell you. You'll love this. Who the hell been running around talking about this get money remix other than me the last two three years? Well, also, it's funny, man. Me and my boy Brandon were having a conversation actually the day of that clubhouse uh, call when we was like, well, when was the first time we really heard Puff rap for real, for real? And uh, I was like, I'm not counting uh, the Dolly Baby remix. Was Can't Nobody Hold Me Down the first time we really heard Puff Daddy rap? More money, more problems. No, 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 no. Can't Nobody Hold Me Down was out before that. It was. I remember. Like, I remember that they were really promoting Hell Up in Harlem, which was the name of No Way Out at that point. And it was on MTV Jams and everything. Because remember, Puff changed the name of the album. Actually, it was Puff Daddy first, and then it became Puff Daddy and the Family. Right? And another thing that I noticed that I thought was interesting, and I think that, you know, I wanted to share with the viewers... I noticed, and we were having a conversation about this too, every Puff Daddy album has a different artist as the title. So follow me here. No Way Out, Puff Daddy and the Family. That's business. Forever, Puff Daddy. Saga Continues, P. Diddy and the Family. Yeah. <laughs> and the next album, uh, Press Play, Diddy. And then the album after that is Diddy Dirty Money. I don't think there's anybody in the music industry who has ever changed artist names for every single album. I don't know why he does it. I'm sure there's no, a reason. No, that's business. In what way? It's not contractually obligated to any name. Keeps going under different <laughs> personas. Great new. It's incredible. I don't think there's anybody that's ever done that because even people who have side names. Like Jay's Jigga, people call him hoes sometimes, whatever. Every album, Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Um, Chris is asleep says, uh, Party and BS is my favorite. Uh, all the verses on there, killer. I love that style too. But yeah, we were talking about that and I was like, so what's the first time we heard Puffy rap? And I think it was, can't nobody hold me down. That was no. before More Money, More Problems. No, Mike, it's January versus July. Even though Big's album was already out uh, can't nobody hold me down dropped in January of 97 you're right he was like quit right. that you a big cat where your chips at but it was funny that Puff was explaining the first time that he actually rhymed that he said the reason he didn't go on the uh, Get Money remix is because he didn't feel comfortable on the mic yet mm, I can see that so yeah that was a little bit of history there but it's funny when I listen to that C's verse now 
it sounds like it was written in the mindset of Puff. So Biggie wrote that whole Get Money remix. I told you that's where things started to take flight and started to become the greatest MC of all time. That's the record. It's incredible, man. Uh, Nas to go with the super chat says, damn, that versus I'm watching the game. I ain't mad at you. Uh, Marquez Davis, uh, appreciate all the support, man, this show. He said, I still say that Keep Your Hands High by Tracy Lee is my favorite big verse. That's nasty, man. Yeah, that's an incredible verse. He's got stuff everywhere. You know that second verse on the what? I used to do stick-ups, but hoes is irritating. Like, this excuse me, flows just roll through me. Like trees to branches, cliffs to avalanches. It's the praying mantis. That's for all my literary device-loving MFers out there. <laughs> All right, and we'll leave on the literary device. No, we will see y'all Friday. We appreciate y'all rocking with us.